The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Y'all heard that? Mm-hmm. Yep. It was a surprise, Tim. I'm sorry. We have music. I know, just you know, like little, little, little audio drops. Yeah, I, I already so, have, I already have Brooklyn centric stuff for classic. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I've got like an array of them, so I'll just pick one for you. We come a long way from uh, the uh, cash register. And the uh, oh, that's still around. The, 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 the... We still got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we have changed. We ain't changed that much. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it? it's it's Doctor Doom? What's on your evil mind? Oh, you insulting tongue! It mocked my words well. How about this rumor that you are leaving higher, Mister Stark? And welcome to another exciting episode of Click Nation's Comic Book Chronicles. <laughs> I am your host, Tim D-O-Double-G. nothing on my mind, but we playing with you. And joining me tonight are my co-hosts. First up, we have the man behind the sound effects at Roddy Cat on Twitter. Nope, actually, it just happened does the sound effects. <laughs> it's well, all... I've called, well, called, well, since I actually called you by name. And that's fine. That's fine. What's up, everybody? That's right, folks. It is a 400 episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. We had to get the Voltron back together. Everything is lovely again. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Got something for that too. Form, feet, and legs. Form, arms, and body. And who's the head? And I'll form the head. There we go. I there guess I'm go. the head, and I decided to come back for the 400th episode tonight. Ah, ah there we go. There we go. And the man you hear speaking and actually behind the sound effects is at Agent underscore 70 on Twitter. What's up, everybody? We're Brooklyn at! We're Brooklyn at! We're Brooklyn at! And we have Mr. Pop Culture Network himself, Dirt. What name do you go by on here? Dirt, Dirt, Dirt's good. That's what most people in real life know me by, actually. I like the glasses. <laughs> and joining us tonight for this special occasion for the four double zeros is at Classic Materia on Twitter. Say what's up. What's up, everybody? Bye, we crying, we mini bong. It's great to be back. There it is. Spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. <laughs> 
There it is! <laughs> the universal greeting! I was hoping for that. Oh, man. That's great. <laughs> I've said that for a long time. <laughs> that the was that, awesome! The man that brought us the Coastal the Podcast Network, Coastal the Pod, Podfather. Indeed, indeed. Absolutely. The progenitor. Everyone, the, 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 the one before all. So actually, yeah, so let me, I'm going to jump in here really quick uh, and say that, because I forgot probably to reiterate this part before we started, but absolutely the reason why we got Classic on the show was because of what Tim just said, you know, so we wanted to give folks just a little bit of history on uh, on the Cold Slither, excuse me, on the Combo Chronicles, as well as, you know, by proxy of uh, the Cold Slither uh, podcast, because... In my, at least in my mind, and I believe this is this probably still holds true, that the Comic Book Chronicles pretty much came out of the Coastal of the Podcast um, podcast, technically, because it started off with with Classic and Tim and uh, and, and Eclectic and shout out to Eclectic exactly shout out definitely shout out to Eclectic and well Tim can get into this a little bit more as we go through the history to um, you know. Of, of how it pretty much started, but, um, you know, it's, as if I remember from the show, it started out as a segment that might as well have been a show in the first place and ended up being a show, which would have probably happened anyway. So, uh, right now we could like to we start off with the history of the coast of the podcast coming from, from that. Um, well, I would say that the coast of the podcast and, you know, and, for those that may have never heard it, uh, it's kind of the background of the CSPN network. Um, that was really just myself and Eclectic starting off just, you know, going into nostalgia, talking about things we grew up on, you know, TV shows, cartoons, movies, comic books, and devoting whole episodes to discussing, you know, just those things. And, uh, yeah, the, I just remember Tim from Twitter, um, you know, Tim DLG 98 would always just be tweeting about like everything, comic books, uh, wrestling, TV show, movies. And like, you know, Eclectic and I are the same age. We're two really old guys. Tim was kind of just right behind us, uh, you know, a few years younger. And I thought for third, Post, you know, because it was, if it was just me and eclectic, it would be a lot of you know, it it would be, it would just be Abbott and Costello. I you know you know I'd, I'd say one thing, he'd say another, and just be like, okay, these two guys are just getting you know telling people to get off their lawn. I want another voice there to basically bring out that you know that younger perspective at the same time you know someone's knowledgeable and Tim like kind of fit the bill. Um, and finding out more about Tim. And the Click Nation, which is really where the Comic Chronicles came from, uh, was just uh, just a joy because, you know, he had such a wealth of knowledge and such a passion for all these things, particularly comic books and, uh, and pro wrestling, that we were able to build off of that. And we had some great episodes on the Colts of the podcast. Um, of course, like with most things, that kind of fell away a little bit. And we ended up, uh, you know, sort of moving on. But coming out of that was the Click Nation Chronicles, um, you know. And so this show here, which is probably one of the longest running podcasts 
<laughs> comic books uh, or just in general. And, you know, it's just been amazing to see what you guys have been able to continue to do. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I go far back with all of you now, uh, you know, uh, age of 70, we go back to high school. <laughs> so it was funny when you and Tim connected, it just started running. It was like, I didn't even need to be there. It was like, oh, he's in the comics. You know, still there. It's been fantastic just seeing uh, the regression since then. And, you know, Tim coming out of this, becoming a bona fide editor at a comic site. Writer, and, you know, you know, it's, it's it's just fantastic just to see him grow too. Because you know, we were just really just three guys just talking, just talking shit, and you know, coming out of that and you know, turning it into something professional has been great. Um, I could say I've realized a few dreams since then, uh, particularly cosplaying, uh, dressing up as Spider Man, and going to conventions has been fun, and uh, you know, meeting some. You know, famous people, you know, in comics, and out of comics, but mostly seeing a lot of the things that we used to read about come to fruition on the big screen has been great. Uh, you know, like WandaVision now is, you know, a really hot thing. So to see that, you know, come off, come off the page and onto the screen, all the Avengers movies, and everything. Uh, it's been fantastic. I remember one of the first few comic book chronicles we did was to talk about, uh, Spider-Man, uh, and I think it was the Superior Spider-Man. It was like after Amazing Spider-Man 700 kind of ended the title and Peter Parker, you know, and became Otto Octavius and, you know, just the reactions to that. And it was a huge sort of thing. And, you know, to capture that in many big moments in comic books over the years, um, the show has been fantastic for it. I would actually like to speak more to, you know, the actual show starts yeah so so with that so tim started uh and yes we can't definitely can't neglect the fact that the 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 click nation is 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 a big impetus for the show also and we start off with tim you know which you can get more into it uh right now but tim starting off the show by himself uh for a couple of episodes before bringing everybody else in so tim you pick up from there or yeah. whatever else you want to um, start with. At least, of what I re- at least what I remember of it. So I actually, it's funny you brought up that I was doing it solo because I totally forgot about it. I remember having, um can't think of her name on Twitter right now, but uh, I had like maybe one or two hosts uh, before, I guess, bringing uh, Agent 70 and yourself on. And actually, I guess, Dirt, I remember getting hooked up with you because I was... I think yeah, Cole Slither was a guest on a podcast that you were doing, and I always say I just mentioned how I wanted to get into covering comments some more, and you started uh, uh, giving giving us access to some of the review copies you get. And yeah, I was going to say I was willing to share my review copies, and so that got me a spot on the show. Yeah. <laughs> And then it's like, well, why don't we just turn it, turn this in? Because it, it started as just, just reading the comics, probably. And then it's like, why don't we just do a show about it as talking about comics, which has morphed into this uh, overproduced production. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I remember 
I remember uh, nagging classic by email, by social media, by text. Like, hey man, let me let me be a guest on the Colts of the podcast, and I I definitely uh, uh, pushed my way into at least a couple of guest appearances. And uh, I remember bringing up some comic book stuff, some pop culture stuff there. So I was happy to have an outlet for that, and that's what I've always loved about this opportunity that he gave me and 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 introduced me to. You know this whole this whole podcast universe. So I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, it, you know this has been a wild ride, and, and and the fact that we've been able to, and 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 it and one thing that I thought when we first started this is still born true to this day, which is because we are almost other than during that brief time during the pandemic, um, during the initial lockdown when we weren't getting comics, we almost always had a consistent amount of content to talk about we didn't have to come up with um uh, uh shows we just had books and then we had news and that was really you know like a great way to just kind of keep keep things going and keep things on track you know so you know that's always been you know like a like our guiding principles like you know what we have books to talk about and we have you know and and with the uh, the entertainment and the comic book news out there we've always got stuff to talk about so you know it's it's been it, that's been keeping us going literally 400 episodes if we if I've average that out people how many years is that it's 8 years holy cow yeah pretty much and uh dirt you wanna you wanna and it, and it has definitely been more than just you, you know, get you uh, lending us your review copies to to come through here. But you know, <laughs> don't shortchange yourself. Uh, exactly. I I don't rem- I don't remember last week. I don't remember eight years ago. Uh, <laughs> sheesh. Okay. I can I can remember like early on when it was audio only. It was a lot easier because I could sit in my underwear in the basement and record the show. Uh, but then when we started getting a lot fancier, it's like I had to put pants on. Uh, I had to have, make sure that there was, you know, uh, at least somewhat of a cleaned up background behind me. I, I looked back. Actually, we were talking to you know, about doing this episode. And I, you know, for nostalgia's sake, just started looking through some old videos. And, oh, my gosh, I used to be sitting on the other side of the living room. With you could just see stacks of papers and and boxes of comics and you know I had I had all the the Transformers uh, on the on the mantle in the living room and you could just see like piles of garbage just stacked up back there uh, that my wife was always constantly complaining about and uh, you know that's all cleaned up now because um, she's evil and I'm uh, I live in fear but um, you know. Lately, um, I haven't been on the show in a long time because I found out uh, two big things. Uh, one is that when you have kids, uh, as your kids get older, you have less and less free time. Um, uh, and two, everybody in the world says, hey, nothing goes on on Thursday night. We will schedule every meeting um, and every play and every practice and every game and every whatever else on a Thursday night. Uh, and when the pandemic happened and everything shut down, um, you know, there was there was nothing going on anyway. So uh, people started doing stuff on Thursday night. We started recording uh, stuff for church on Thursday night to broadcast on Sunday. And then 
you guys started doing the show again and I was like, uh, like I kind of already promised. Uh, so kind of had a conflict there, but luckily this week, amazingly enough, um, they went on vacation. Uh, they've been on Mex- in Mexico for the last two weeks um, on vacation. So we've had people filling in and it's been live streaming instead of pre-recording. Um, so luckily I didn't have anything going on this Thursday. So uh, I just happened to luck out and, and have this one free. And on that, actually, speaking speaking of, because, you know, there have been definitely a lot of changes in the show, you know, whether you know we've gone from Google Hangouts to not going to, well, we actually was doing something else before that and then coming here to Skype. But right, um, it was the lights. It was a stream of light, light wasn't it? That was light stream indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And that worked out until it didn't. So, um, <clears throat> and then Skype and Zoom kind of came along and started, you know, doing a little bit more heavy lifting because of, well, well, actually Skype was pretty much what it was and then google hangouts changed itself to where it wasn't the way it was and especially getting rid of our beloved uh sound effects starting off with that mess uh but that just kind of ended up uh us getting up on skype but also life changes that have happened between folks speaking of like what dirt um has been said previously uh tim you know has now have a job as an editor at cbr but also has led some life changes since the start of the show by one becoming a new husband and also having a uh, having a kid, not to you know put your business all out there, but I'm saying that which is another reason why he hasn't really been on the show because of those reasons. So, you know, wanted to yes. uh, wanted to make sure that was out there. So you know, a lot of a lot of things been been going on with the show to to make it into what it has uh, blossomed into now. Um, but I was also going to say like really quick before we move on uh, to. Because there was something else I was going to bring up, and I should have totally had notes on that, and I totally don't. But that's fine. Uh, for me, when I when I came onto the show, um, I was kind of working uh, at a job, and I was kind of tuning in. And you know, even from from the beginning of the show, you know, I was pretty much at my job, you know, on Twitter. I mean, excuse me, pretty much at my job, uh, watching the show as it was being recorded, and just chiming in on Twitter. And, um, you know, and Tim and folks and, and the guys were taking, you know, questions and stuff off of Twitter, which we should probably get back into. But, you know, stuff. Um, and I would always be there to kind of answer in. And there was been a couple of times when I'm off, I was like, I asked Tim, you know, could I, could I pop in for a few? And then, you know, some invites started going out to where I, I came in, you know, and around like one thirty something or other, I think, uh, you know, I started being a kind of a more permanent part of the show. And so basically it was pretty much me just coming off, the, coming out of the rafters on this one. And I kind of regret, honestly, not asking classic, uh, early on to, 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 to pester him to get on the coastal podcast, but you know what, that's, that's hindsight being what it is. Although I did do an episode with me and me and, uh, me and, uh, agent seven, it was on an episode. So I'm, I, I can check box that bark off. Or in another, and then things changes, and somehow I ended up hosting the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, somehow, somehow, some way. Yeah, I guess so. You know, so things kind of how things happen, and here we are, and like technical changes and all that about it. We are now here with 400 episodes of the show. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, well, it, uh, it, just to that. Um, you know, you listening to the early episodes of the Carnival Chronicles and even to the uh, Cold Slither uh, when we were doing that. 
Um, it really shows the impact that your show has if you're working on anything, uh, any kind of project. Someone's always listening. Um, you might it might not be like huge numbers, or you might get everyone listening to your show, but someone does listen, and it does reach people, and it does open up a lot of things for a lot of people. You know, even now, you know, every now and then, I still get some random, "Hey, man, I used to listen to your show. That's how I got started," and, and I'm like wow, thanks, you know, but back then we were doing it, I would, you see the numbers and go, oh, no one's listening to us, you know, then feel down about it, but you know, that's kind of why you keep going. Um, and so that's what the impact that Comic Book Chronicles continues to have, is, you know, eight years worth of episodes, you know, so there are so many people that even if they haven't heard the show in a while, they know what you guys do and they know what to expect and it's helped them a lot. I've got a lot of, you know, people that I still, you know, follow and talk to that say, hey, yeah, I still listen to the show because I'm not buying books right now. Or, you know, you know, this show got me started on reading such and such, you know, or and it's really impactful for them. So keep doing what you're doing. Many, many thanks. Appreciate that. Indeed, indeed. And I guess, yeah, at this point, we can also give a shout out to, which I now kind of regret not reaching out to him, but shout out to uh, some of the other folks that have been a part of the show, like look, Matt Wayne 97, who's, you know, if anything, definitely a friend of the show, but has been uh, equally as part of the show at, at a lot of times uh, himself. Is also a friend of mine and classic from back in high school. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um... But also, uh, I'm not sure what he's going by now, like Devon Gloom. Um, I can't remember what he's, what he's going by now. And also, I think, as uh, Tim mentioned, uh, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, Darkwing Duck. Just doing a shout out. There you go. There you go. So, you know, the folks have been here along the ways with us and, and still kind of rocking with us uh, for the for the time at times that they can. So we appreciate in and everybody. Um, I was about to say shout out to I believe William Bruce West was a guest or or, or uh, once or twice on our show as well. So shout out to him. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So and if I'm forgetting anybody else at this point, then then just, just charge my heart. Charge I me, mean, charge my uh, head, not my whoever heart. Whoever puts together send a big shout to everyone. Send a big shout to everyone that's ever guested on the CBC. Absolutely, absolutely, including some books, uh, books putting out some big books at this point. Um, yes, uh, one one of which we will review tonight. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. So it's I guess, called foreshadowing, people. I know. You gotta <laughs> love it. <laughs> yeah, like like literally, you know, we have we've had folks on the show promoting their creator owned stuff, their smaller press stuff. And the next thing you know, you know, uh we're seeing them headlining major, major events at the big two. Mm-hmm. Whether we're reading them or not, but <laughs> hey, they're they're still they're still headlining them. Exactly. You know. So I guess um any more thoughts on you know the past of the um the, of the CBC or in just in general from folks before we get into um books? Um, I don't recall who it was, but whoever put together that kick-ass uh, theme song for the show. Oh yeah, wait, was that um? Uh, very dash, very dash, definitely yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We still... did do that. Yeah. Wait, who was Definitely. it? Variant dash. Oh, variant dash. Okay, right. And actually, yo, speaking of other shout outs, I've got definitely got to shout out to to the brother, uh, uh, the Adam Black, um, because if I if I recall from the three hundredth episode, he had, uh, laced us with a nice uh, video from that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So and has been some part of the show in, in some way, shape, or form. So definitely want to give him shout out also. And definitely hooked us up with business cards. Fire yes, I, you know what? And I, that's funny you should mention that because I do remember I, I coming across a, a picture of my business cards. I have no idea what they, the actual cards are. Well, actually, I do know where they are, but I, I came across them recently. So funny you should mention that. Yeah, no, I mean, back when we actually went to comic book conventions, I handed them out. Yeah, same. Handed them out to uh, creators, definitely had our, our, our name out there, so... Um, you know, even though most people don't hold on to business cards anymore, they're still worthwhile having because you never know, you know, just like classic said, you never know who, who holds on to it. And the next thing you know, that's a, that's a, a connect that you still have because you made contact with them in person. Mm-hmm. And actually, speaking of comic cards, I remember meeting Tim directly at, uh, Heroes Con a, a couple of years back, but, you know, back when, when everything was quote unquote normal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was about to say, I still have, I still have. Roddy Cat and PCN underscore Dirt on my list to actually meet in person because obviously I've known Classic forever and I did meet Tim at New York Comic Con. So I still have two of my co-hosts and this is, believe me, this is something that uh, my friends and family are always awestruck by. They're just dumbstruck by the fact that I've literally not met two people who I used to, you know, at least when we were doing it every week, when the four of us would do it every week, I used to talk to once every week for year after year that I had only met one of those three. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And you live uh, within a mile of my sister and I've still right. never met you in person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or at least a couple of miles. Brooklyn's not as small as you think. <laughs> well, and she's, she also moved recently, so I'm not sure exactly how, how close or far you are now, but she yeah. moved a year, year and a half ago, I guess. But, but still, anyway, yeah, she I mean, she lives in Brooklyn. So, I mean, technically, we, we actually might have passed at some point like ships in the night, you know, right. when, and just not even been aware. But, you know, who knows? That's wild. That's wild. But yeah, like, uh, 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 you know, before we move on, I wanted to shout out to, you know, we, we all know the uh, the good and bad sides of the Internet. But this is definitely one of the good sides, which is the fact that we can uh, form up as a Voltron uh, online, you know, from different parts of the country and, and, and talk about comics and talk about pop culture. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that like literally I've only ever met in person, you know, of of the five, of the four other people here, only two of them. So it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, it's a testament to how great, you know, the internet can be. Indeed, indeed. I was about to say, I'm going to clap for myself right now. (laughs) Indeed. And with that, uh, I think we can probably start going to the books. Um, I know, Klesky, you said you did not have a whole, you know, you you didn't have a whole lot of time. You're you're in a debate. Now you want to stick with us a little bit more. It's up to you. Uh, Cool. You know, I, I'm curious to as to you know some of the books you guys have been reading. So, uh, you know, 
this will be me listening to the show like on Spotify, SoundCloud. Yeah, which Sounds I didn't good. even even about to, to get into that, but we'll we'll get all of that out of the way uh, at the end of the show. So don't even worry about that, folks. If that was what you were waiting for, so yeah. So let's get into the comic books of the week then. Uh, and we've already said we were going to start off with Black Cat number two. Right, uh, Black Cat number two is written by Jed McKay with art by C.F. Via and colors by Brian Reber. I'm gonna. I, the reason why I nominated this book as our first book is that it is actually one of my potential clicks of uh, potential click of the week for myself because it is such a solid book and a tremendously fun read. Yeah, we've definitely said on this show since since uh, since this is book started with the first volume that black cat's been pretty much a, a consistently fun book um you know just just every time it comes out and this is no different even if it is a king and black uh tie-in as it is so i guess uh to kind of get into it we kind of get into um uh after felicia finds out that well actually this is well after the fact that she finds out that she's been tasked to um do a rescue job for one of the bigger heroes um, uh, that was fighting against uh, Null and, and his whole army. Uh, this is Felicia formulating her plan, just like she does with any of her other heists, you know, which uh, respect out to her, you know, her confidence level, not really shirking away from it because, you know, even at the beginning of the issue, she was like, look, I've ripped off some high profile people. You think this is going to stop me from, from doing what I need to do? you know, then you're crazy. So she and her, her gang starts uh, putting this form, formulating this plan and getting, a, uh, adding another member and some gadgets together, uh, to do said task. Um, uh, and even in that in itself was just kind of fun to see. It was like all, all the stuff that ends up coming up before the actual, um, before the actual plan goes off. Right. There's actually a little bit of a reveal here in this planning, uh, process, uh, during these pages, it's revealed that there was uh, an inside man in one of the previous jobs that was pulled off at the Sanctum Sanctorum, and that was pretty fun. And it is that inside, uh, maybe inside man's the wrong word, being, yeah. uh, the wrong term, inside ghost maybe, yeah. um, is a bit of a spoiler. Uh, we don't we don't want to spoil the whole thing, but there was an inside ghost in on that job, and it is that inside ghost that is proving to be a vital, uh, who, who proves to play a vital role in this story. Yeah, I do love the fact that they've been they've been uh, using this uh, this being since uh, since the uh, you know they've been introduced because I because I enjoyed it myself. You know the times that we've seen them previously, but um, seeing them in this was just was just kind of pretty fun. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and what Roddy Cat was mentioning before about, you know, some of the tech and the gadgetry and, and, and whatnot that comes up there. What, what's cool about this, and, I, and I've always said this, uh, this is definitely, you know, uh, akin to uh, a heist comic book. You know, think of Ocean's Eleven and think of all the times during these heist movies that they have to come up with novel and, and, and creative ways to come to get around um, obstacles uh, placed in the, the thieves ways. So, uh, you know, in here we actually get some references to anti-venom 
which is kind of like a, a mild blast from the past. We get lots of cool gadgets from uh, heroes and villains alike. And we also get, um, uh, believe it or not, a certain four-wheel contraption that we did see in the last issue, but comes back again. And um, that four-wheel contraption has uh, big dune buggy wheels and shoots spider webs. So that's a big hint. Yes. Which has shown up, yeah, not only has shown up last issue, but I'm fairly certain shown up somewhere. It might have actually been in the first volume of um, Black Cat, but definitely have shown up once or twice uh, in the past couple of years, which is, I appreciate Marvel's been doing a little bit more of that, you know, this past couple of years. Like, just like, hey, we hadn't seen this person or this gadget or, or whatever show up in, in a good minute. So um, we, we definitely appreciate the little callbacks to stuff that they've been doing. Uh, right. And, yeah. and I was about to say the book wraps with a nice little cliffhanger splash splash page where we get another callback to I believe it's that same Dr. Strange or no to to I think it's the, the previous volume of Dr. Strange, if I'm not right. mistaken. That is correct. So, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a reference that's pulled from uh, the Dr. Strange book and. uh as I said, uh, it, it proves to be a pretty interesting uh, uh, twist at the end of this book. And uh, I'm more than interested in seeing where this goes from here. Uh, you know, we're on board. We're on board with Jed McKay's uh, writing of Black Cat. Uh, I can I can remind the our, our viewers and listeners that Roddy Cat was and, and myself were both very disappointed that this book was uh, well, that the previous volume of Black Cat was canceled uh, prior to or at least during the pandemic and prior to the announcement that it would be uh, coming back during King and Black. Uh, I was under the impression that it was going to come back soon because of stuff that I had seen and, and heard uh, both online and um, uh, via social media. But uh, Roddy Cat wasn't as hopeful, but I'm glad that uh, we were um, uh, given another shot, that Jim McKay was given another shot to continue telling his story. Absolutely, especially in a realm where a lot of books just get canceled and stuff gets dropped all the time. I, I definitely wasn't really too too um, positive about it coming back, but we feel like at some point, even you know, with uh, what uh, Eighty Seven was saying, it's like, yeah, th- this needed to come back to to finish what it was doing. You know, you still kind of hate the fact that it was tied to King of Black, but you know, things are what they are, as we've said before. Right, 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 right. All right, so. Uh... If we're done with that, President so. Bartlett. Much next. So um, I'm scanning through the rest of the books that uh, uh, folks uh, read this week. Uh, I know Roddy Cat didn't read this. Um, Tim read King and Black number three. I did. Uh, so uh, before we get started, let me just go over the creative team on this. Um, King and Black number three. This is actually a five-issue limited series. It's written by Donny Cates, uh, who was uh, who is the previous uh, guest that we were speaking about before, our previous Comic Book Chronicles guest. Um, it's penciled by Ryan Stegman, inks by J.P. Mayer, and colors by Frank Martin. What'd you think about this book, Tim? It was cool. Um, we finally got the showdown between Thor, who had been absent, and Noel King in Black himself. Um, we got more references to the God of Light, who is Noel's opposite and supposedly the one that's destined to stop him. 
And I saw some work, some speculation online that the person that showed up at the end is supposed to be the God of Light. But t- to me, I feel like that it, if so, it wasn't very obvious. Even though if you go back to Silver Surfer Black miniseries, since Silver Surfer was the one that uh, populated life, I guess, in the Marvel Universe eons ago during his little time travel adventure and fight with Noel, that he could be looked at as the God of Light. But I feel like that big revelation is going to come in uh, probably one of the next couple of issues uh, down the down the road, right? I agree with that. I agree with that. I felt like the 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 next to last page of the story, I think, uh, confirms that uh, the 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 Silver Surfer Black is not this particular god of light, because it says that apparently the dome um, being put up around the earth is what can keep the god of light out, or at least annuls opposite out. But apparently the surfer can. So I'm not. 100% sure how to interpret that uh, against what people are saying online. Yeah, so I feel, and also I feel like there'd be like like Marvel will be hyping it if it that actually were the case and they haven't, so at least not that I've seen. Yeah, understood, understood. I mean, uh, we, we read Silver Surfer Black knowing that it probably would at some point play into uh, a, a lot of the stuff that was coming up and obviously with Kate's uh, being involved with it and um, uh, it being related to Null and the symbiotes that, you know, we would see this uh, come to fruition at some point. It's been a few, it's been, I think, a year or two since uh, Silver Surfer Black wrapped. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's kind of uh, come full circle in that regard. Um, just to uh, quickly touch on a couple of the other things that happened in the issue. Um, Iron Man has a cool Rock'em Sock'em robots moment. That's pretty fun. And um, and and as as uh, as uh, at Tim Dog ninety eight mentioned, there's at least one form of the cavalry on the way. That's uh, that's uh, the Silver Surfer Black. So, uh, but we still are probably going to see this God of Light uh, Null's opposite. Uh, come up over the next it's a five issue limited series so we're probably going to see either in next issue or the last issue of the series yeah so Roddy Cat we only have a little while to go to get through King and Black <laughs> Yay! which I actually kind of sort of kept uh, caught up on thanks to um, the, the YouTube channel I, I, we mentioned uh, last week uh, Variant Comics okay yeah so I kind of caught up on that still don't, don't necessarily want to read it but at least I know pretty much what's been going on since you know with the the venom stuff and going into this gotcha 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 all right that being cool we can move on to something something else uh hey dirt what's up with that future state shazam you tell me uh Uh, you know, I, I originally said I was not going to buy any of these, but you walk into the comic shop these days and it's like, uh, is there anything in my file? And they're they're like, no. So it's like, oh, man. So I go digging through the racks and eventually it's like my standards kind of lower and lower and lower. And it's like, OK, I'll I'll grab a couple books off the shelf. So uh, I, 
I don't know. I had no idea what to expect from the from uh, the book. It's uh, written. I, I forgot you were doing the whole credits thing, so of course I didn't write any of the stuff down for for the books that I, I have. But I think Tim Sheridan, I think, is the guy's name, um, and, and I think he's a screenplay writer. He was one of the guys that was brought in for Five G. Um, and then that whole thing got canceled. So his 5G stuff is now part of the future state stuff. Um, but this story is really set like future state. The idea is like it's, uh, you know, some future timeline, right? It's set at some random point uh, in the future. Uh, and this really does feel like they plucked an issue out of the middle of a storyline at some point years down the road. So, you know, three years, five years, eight years, whatever down the road, they just pulled one random issue out of what looks like it could possibly be like a new Teen Titans or Titans type uh, team book that Shazam just happens to be a member of. Um, and they have this story where he's actually acting kind of weird and starting to go crazy and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And it's, like on the one hand, it really it really does that job of conveying that this is in a different timeline, a different universe. This is a different um, you know branch of the tree. Uh, this really is you know separate from everything else going on. This is its own thing. But on the other hand, you're reading it and you're just like, I don't, I don't know who this character is. I'm not sure who this character, why is this happening? Why, why are they hanging out at the old justice league Detroit headquarters? What is going, what? Like what? Like so many times I'm reading this just going, what? And I guess you can say that the story is interesting for the concept. They come up with Shazam and I don't want to spoil it because it's the hook of the whole, um, you know, two part miniseries here, but, um, it, it, it really does. You, you, you have to be a big fan of Shazam. I think to, to, to really get a lot out of this. If you're not a big fan of Shazam, I don't think you're, um, you're really going to care about what the hook of the story is. Uh, and and it's it's done like I said it's done in such a confusing manner where a lot of the I've read a few of the other books um, from Future State where they at least try to explain like what's going on so they at least say like uh, if it's not a narrator they'll at least have a couple characters like mention something that happened a couple years ago that at least puts everything into perspective so you have a little bit of an idea of what's going on this does none of that like this is um just completely out of the blue so if you want to know what it's like for a brand new reader to jump into the middle of a comic book storyline um then this might actually be a good tool um for for people to pick up to just be like, how confusing is it really mm. to pick up a modern comic book and try to jump into the middle of a story? I, well, I, I've got your primer right here. It's Future State Shazam. It's the, one of the most confusing things that I've read in a long time. Um, and, and I do think the hook was kind of fun if you're a fan of the Shazam storyline. Um, but it's, it's kind of thick to cut through. Um, and I would not recommend it for everybody. But it is interesting overall. I wouldn't say it was great, but it was good. 
Um, but it's not for everybody. So I know that Shazam is supposed to be tied to, um, or will be and is tied to what happened in the, like the Teen Titans book and with the whole Teen Titans Academy, or at least whatever, what big event happened uh, that they okay. allude to in that book. I don't know if, I haven't read this yet, but I don't know if uh, somehow that well, might be tied and, into that. And and there's nothing in here where it says, um, as seen in Future mm. State Titans or you know, go check out Future State Teen Titans number one on newsstands now or anything like there's nothing because I kept that was one of the things I was kind of confused. And I like I just assumed like it it must, you know, have some sort of connection with with Titans because it it feels like a Titans, you know, story, um, even though it has Shazam on the cover. But there's there's nothing in there that says, hey, make sure you read Teen Titans first or or anything like that. It's just you know, it's just like, hey, here's your paddle. Start canoeing. Right. Gotcha. And see, even with that, even with the Teen Titans book, like they just allude to an event happening and they do mention that Shazam was was in there, but they never really go into it. And that, a, a few of the future state books are kind of like this, where they allude to something, but they don't really ever mm-hmm. go into what happened. Well, well probably the, the exception might be next Batman and, and whatever the stuff is going on in Batman. But because, right. um, but they definitely right. and that, allude to well, Right. That's and, the like, corner that I'm in. The Batman, I kind of like, stuck to the Batman corner because right. it's kind of the easiest to put together. So that's why I'm curious to hear about what you have to say about one of the more, you know, like the standalone Shazam books. I was surprised to hear that, that Roddy Cap mentioned that it was tied into Titans. I didn't know that. So I started to open it and now I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like um, I read the Swamp Thing one. I really liked it. That was one. I, I was actually really surprised by how much I liked it. Um, and then I realized it was written by Ram V, the guy who did uh, Justice League Dark um, for the last two years or whatever. Um, he did the Justice League Dark backup story that's running in the Future State Justice League books. He's going to be doing the Swamp Thing story, the new series going forward. Um, so it, it, you know, he knows the character. He's worked with the character before. That's a really good book. I really enjoyed that Future State Swamp Thing, and it's set after some sort of apocalyptic event years and years in the future and the entire world has changed and swamp thing has created like another like race of swamp things but he explains it like in like his inner monologue as they're you know traveling and walking around he's explaining how he created you know these beings these other creatures his family essentially to walk around with him and he kind of explains um that he's trying to see if there are any humans left on earth and he's talking through all of this so you don't know what exactly happened that caused this big you know event that that destroyed um you know 99.9 percent of the human life on earth but you don't really need to but all the stuff that's pertinent to the swamp thing character he at least explains what's going on with that. Whereas with this book, it's just suddenly like, Hey, here's a random piece of justice league Detroit. And here's a random character from teen Titans. And here's a, you know, random thing from Shazam. And now I'm just going to ball them all together. And here's a story set in some random point in the future. And you're just kind of like, Oh, okay, I guess. And sure. Why not? Mm. And I want to say maybe Immortal Wonder Woman from this week might have touched on something like that because I know Swap Thing shows up. Um, mm. at a, and that might, but that sounds like, if that's the case, is after what you're talking about. 
or well mm-hmm. after what you're talking about because yeah some things have progressed anyway um so we can go into another book if we're done with that one then uh anybody got something they want to want to pluck out tim what'd you think of avengers this week because i think roddy cat read go. that also yeah i liked it um it actually might be my click of the week it was a Black Panther sort of focused issue. I liked the confrontation between him and Nighthawk at the end, where they were trading the verbal jabs back and forth. Um, we had a nice chat with chat chat with Bozeman, homage, uh, naming a helicarrier after him. Mm-hmm. Um, what else happened here? I like that they sped up sort of some oh, a lot of confrontations during the Phoenix trial by combat that took place uh we eliminated some uh some contenders quickly but also teased some more to to come in the next issue of course um but yeah overall fun issue i'm liking that uh i guess this storyline is has been hyped to end with a new uh phoenix host being introduced and they'll at least it should be a uh, established hero or villain. It may not be a big name hero or villain, but they will be after uh, this is all over with. Right, right. Uh, the book's written by uh, Jason Aaron with art by Javier Garon and colors by David Curiel. Um, uh, one one thing I noted during um, the bout with uh, Batman, or I mean Nighthawk, because... Um, there is a little bit of a there's there's a little bit of a costume change that each of the uh, characters who take on that that piece of the Phoenix Force that they undergo uh, for when that symbolizes their their um, absorption of the Phoenix Force uh, 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 fraction of the Phoenix Force power. So it was interesting to see Nighthawk's costume literally morph into something that looked very very Batman esque. So uh, that was interesting to read. And what's what's funny is that. There's just hints at how they are portraying the, um, the the Squadron Supreme in the Marvel Universe because we really haven't seen too much of them because I believe their books have been canceled. Their crossover books with like uh, Empire um, and whatnot were canceled during uh, the pandemic. So we really have only seen snippets of how they are being portrayed in uh, the current Marvel Universe we've only seen a little bit of them in the pages of Avengers. So it's interesting to see uh, Nighthawk's uh, super strong misconceptions of the nature of uh, Wakandan society. Um, And uh, uh, like uh, Tim mentioned, there are several matches in the tournament that take place and there are some obvious and not so obvious winners. Right. Yeah. I've been, I've actually, so this is the issue where it seems a little bit more contest of champions than, than it let itself out to be uh, coming into this thing. And normally I'd be on board with that. And I still kind of am to to a point, but coming off of, you know, 10 of swords kind of stuff, which I still at this point like a little bit more than what's going on here right now. Um, it, it's still doing, you know, what it's supposed to be doing and where depending on where it's going to get to uh, near the end of this with the, you know, with the new host and whatever. And like, I'm going to in, attempt to see what's going on. And yeah, as far as the, the um, 
Squadron Supreme stuff, like that stuff has been playing out like bits and pieces here in Avengers, and I'm sure, and I know they're still going to get back to it at some point, probably maybe after this uh, arc's finished, because you know, we know uh, Aaron's been pretty much laying down a whole lot of groundwork uh, for a lot of stories uh, like a while ago, to which we still kind of see coming up back and forth into, and this being one of them. Still kind of wears me off to see this Squadron Supreme, especially Nighthawk, because we know there was a version of Nighthawk that's died re- fairly recently, but I know it's not that one. Right, uh, and there is even a new Nighthawk uh, in that place. But like I said, seeing this one and you know seeing the stance and uh, and having the Batman off as much as I hate to say that uh, as uh, he and T'Challa was doing was kind of funny but weird. Um, but yeah, definitely seeing the the matchups kind of play out, and it was a damn shame to see what they did to that duck. That was <laughs> that was just there was just no cause for that. That was that was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was funny, but it was still terrible. But I, but it was definitely a good read this week. I can, I can safely say that. And I'm kind of very much looking into that last matchup that uh, shows up at the end, uh, at the end of the issue, because it seemed a little outmatched. But as we saw in issue, there was a, there was a very mismatched, mismatched uh, uh, fight that ended up going not the way you would think it would. That um, played out quite well. I enjoyed that part very much. Right. I cannot be this yes. open-minded. I wish I oh, feel like there's a different analogy there somewhere, and I was like, you know what? I appreciate it. And you will probably see that up on CB Caps at some point soon. It was it was pretty funny because, uh, you know, it, it really involves, you know, when we're talking about uh, members of the Squadron Supreme, we know that these uh, uh, characters are analogs for certain DC characters. Mm-hmm. So um, if there's one thing uh, that uh, you understand being um uh overwhelming for 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 a certain uh over uh, uh a super powered uh, man of steel there is you know there's something to be said for having to get a, a grip on your super senses and that's essentially what overcomes um the squadron supreme member here in this issue right and, and if you didn't know you know who it is what's up hmm? exactly exactly um all right so if we have wrapped with that um, I wanted to ask Classic if he had ever read Hulk Future Imperfect by hmm. Peter David and uh, George Perez. Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to see that. No kidding. No, this is from back in the day. This is like from like the early 90s. So, oh, uh, yeah, Hulk Future Imperfect. Hmm. It's a it, two-part story. It sounds familiar, but uh, yeah, you have to refresh me on like what happened in that one. I mean, uh, broad strokes, it's the Hulk in, uh, it's what happens to the Hulk after a nuclear holocaust wipes out the, you know, the vast majority of the people on the planet and he survives. But uh, it also involves uh, um, uh, the current day, or at least back then, then's uh, current day incarnation of the Hulk, time traveling forward to confront him. So uh, I was about to say, if you you, uh, have access to Marvel Unlimited, I definitely recommend taking a look at these issues. I've been trying to get Roddy Cat. That's the reason and why I'm I brought going it. To... I'm trying to get Roddy Cat <laughs> to read it. I'm pretty sure PCN underscore Dirt read it. Dirt, did you read Hulk Future Imperfect back in the day or since then? No. You're on mute. No, no I'm, so, I'm sorry. Back in the I thought you meant the new Ma- Maestro series. No, we get yes, into that. Future Imperfect. Yeah, 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 no, I'm, not the, not the new a, series. Right. I'm leading into the Maestro series because... 
Um, the reason why I wanted to, to to ask about this amongst the panel, Tim, how about you? Have you read Hulk Future Imperfect? I haven't, but I'm aware of it. Okay, so I would recommend it. It's only two issues. It's definitely worth reading. Uh, the reason why I bring it up is I wanted to talk about Maestro Warm Packs number one uh, out this week. It's the second miniseries that serves as that uh, of the two Maestro miniseries that serve as um, uh, prologues to. Hulk Future Imperfect. Uh, it's this particular miniseries is written by Peter David with art by Javier Pina and colors by Jesus uh, Abertov. So this is actually a direct continuation of the prior Maestro miniseries, which continues to establish the Hulk's journey as the Maestro uh, to where he is uh, at the beginning of Future Imperfect. So I don't know how many more of these uh, miniseries they're going to put out, but it's uh, informative. It definitely fills in some gaps, and it does help that it's Peter David filling in this uh, this this prologue story to Hulk Future Imperfect. So uh, again, it's helpful to have read Future Hulk uh, Future Imperfect prior to reading these miniseries because things start to come together a little bit more easily. But if you're reading these alone. And then getting to Future Imperfect, you're, you're pretty much going to have uh, 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 a, a timely, you know, you're, you're going to be reading things in consecutive order. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, you know, for someone who's read it, who read that and and, and got like copies of that signed by uh, Perez and Peter David, you know, this is this this these two miniseries have been pretty, uh, pretty fun. Right. Um I can't remember what I was going to say about that. Oh, so I was going to ask you real quick, because I haven't read uh, Future Imperfect, does that PAX part actually, uh, is something coming from that, or is that something that is established here? I'm not sure. Having read this just earlier today, I didn't have a chance to consult, um, uh, to, to, to look that up on Marvel Unlimited, uh, or I, I definitely did not want to go diving into the back issue boxes to look for that. I'm pretty sure I could find it quick, but right. at the end of the day, uh, I think it is, but I'm not sure. But I definitely like the idea of... Uh, um, uh, of setting that particular um, program, quote, quote unquote, up on behalf of the maestro to try to um, establish, you know, his control over everything. Um, I wanted to mention that Machine Man really looks good in this setting, as opposed to where he's currently uh, in the Marvel universe, even after the events of Iron Man 2020. Um, you know, which is a little bit of a tough read, a little bit of a tough read, but I I enjoyed it. Right. So given that, you know, this is like I just said, this is the second of two miniseries uh, Maestro base. We still don't necessarily know to what end this is this is going towards, if there's anything or or whether it's just, just like happened to be. Well, because it's Marvel's 80th anniversary and they just wanted to throw some folks out there. They really haven't really been throwing too many things out there that doesn't seem that is going to go anywhere or be done something being done with. Like we've, you know, like Mephisto's pretty much been everywhere, you know, in the mm -hmm. last couple of years. So we know that's going to something and, and know the same way, which led up to King and black. We right. can only assume that there's going to be something that's something else that's going to be done with the maestro coming out of this. And as I've said in the last couple of times, talking about this micro maestro stuff, still not really sure where this fits into the, or if it even does fits into the immortal Hulk stuff. Right, uh, that is still going on for the for the next uh, what eight or so issues. But right. um, I was gonna I was just gonna make a point that um, I you know this may just be you know 
them trying to put in this prologue to help introduce, you know, to, to reintroduce folks to uh, Future Imperfect because I guess it's a it's an anniversary year for that book itself. I'm not sure how many years it is, but it's definitely been like 20 plus. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's that might be where they're going with this. Um, and for anyone that was reading Hulk back then, <clears throat> classic <clears throat> PC and underscore dirt. Um, uh, believe it or not, we actually find out that uh, the Pantheon, if you remember those folks, and one ruler of Latveria have also survived the nuclear holocaust. So that is where this particular issue ends. And uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to pick this up in physical form. Uh, I definitely picked up the first one because I was enthusiastic about the art. Uh, definitely appreciated the, uh, the art on the last um, Maestro miniseries. I'm, I'm leaning towards picking this one up because I like where, I, you know, I kind of like um, the story that uh, Peter David's telling ahead of Future Imperfect. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, though, this is the same future. I mean, it's not a surprise that Doom's around because this is, if I'm not mistaken, the same future that uh, like Old Man Logan and that stuff kind of rolls out of. I think this might be before that. I'm not entirely sure. Right. I think that's uh, I think that's a a different future Mm. uh, because I don't think the Maestro is involved in the Old Man Logan story, you know, in the in that timeline. But no, I, I. I think Old Man Logan, that was the whole point of Old Man Logan, was what? that the, the Hulklings had come around. Out of the maestro? Yeah. Mm. Was it because it was Hulk's children? Right. But Future Imperfect doesn't involve any children at that point. But I could be wrong. I'd have to go back to the Old Man Well, Logan. but I mean, not. I, I don't think it's in the same point, but I think it's supposed to be the same timeline. Right. Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking. And plus, especially if you see like Avengers of the Wasteland book, if you've read that, which I might have been the only one who read that book, there was there was definitely a Hulk in that that's not Banner and uh, any of that like. But there, it does seem to be kind of following that same line where the, I don't know where Maestro fits in relation to that stuff, but it does definitely seem like it was placed around the same time. And it was just like the Maestro stuff was after a Holocaust. Which, granted, it doesn't have to be the same one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, but, same, but it seemed like, from, where, from what they're talking about, it seemed like it's the same one. It's, so, that's all. I'm not, that's, I don't really know. For yeah, sure. okay. Right. Um, in the, they did the Old Man Logan ongoing series. Old Man Logan 25 had uh, Old Man Logan and Maestro finally um, battle. Oh, okay. So they did yeah. tie in. Interesting. I wasn't keeping up with the old man Logan series. Okay. Thanks for that. It's been a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I don't even remember last week half the time. So, <laughs> and we read a lot of things as we, we have well established on this show. <laughs> yes. So, but yeah, that to, to kind of wrap up the, uh, the, the maestro things like, yeah, that definitely the, the maestro versus machine man thing was, was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, whatever's, you know, coming up in this miniseries, I'm hoping it, it uh, pays off for whatever reason they, they put this out here for. It's been a pretty good, decent read so far, you know, with that, especially with the last, uh, you know, moving into that last, um, moving from that last mini series. All right. So we got, we've got one more book. We're going to get on go ahead and just run the, run the rapid fire. I will spin it up. Hit it. I'll spin up the minigun. Oh, we've got a new minigun too for the rapid fire. Yes, folks, it's rapid fire time. Who wants to be the first? 
lay your books out there on the line. Uh, Dirt already talked about Future State Shazam. The only other book I had was Deceased Dead Plant number seven, which was the finale. Um, I've enjoyed the series. I've checked out some of the digital chapters. I know in his review, Dirt says that it it sort of skewed away from the horror aspect of it, which I agree with, but I actually didn't even mind that part of it just because it seems like it's still growing out that uh, deceased universe. So uh, if they feel like DC feels like continuing this story, uh, there's definitely uh, different ways it can go. They can continue showing how uh, they can jump ahead a couple more years or so how, the, the earth has been repopulated and they can still keep introducing new threats for this new version of the Justice League led by John Kent and Damian Wayne. Uh, follow their adventures some more. Uh, I, but I don't know. It just feels like this was too much of an ending, though, because basically all the villains died. Yeah. But there's always more villains. They get they like introduce Trigon out of nowhere there's always, uh, like, where's Mo- Mogul, if that's how you say his name. Mo- is it Mongol? Mogul? Mogul. Mongul. Mongul. Yep. Yeah. People like that. Yeah. They can keep introducing. Though it does, it does lose some of the appeal because uh, the first part, deceased, the original deceased, we got to see our, a bunch of your favorite heroes die, and then... Uh, unkillables that sort of followed the villains yeah and now dead planet jumped ahead a couple years and brought everyone back to earth as they uh, found a cure for the zombie virus so yeah it does it does feel very uh finite sort of a clean ending um but as i said i i wouldn't mind seeing what else they could cook up with it but if if it does end here it's a good stopping point Although, with as we know, Tom Taylor's writing this book, you know, especially with uh, Injustice Year One just pretty much wrapping up, pretty sure he'll find a way to 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 throw some stuff in there at some point or another. Um, I was like, I was kind of on top of the, the deceased book. Also, I hadn't read this one yet and hadn't caught up with Dead Planet, but um, I had enjoyed that the, the initial run and a couple of stuff that came after it. But I was like, it's starting to be a little bit too much, and I probably will go back and, and read the the whole of this now this is done. Um, but, uh, you, you know, Tom Tyler and Cruz definitely has, uh, done some good stuff with that. And I don't even like zombie stuff. So it's like the, the initial stuff was deceased was probably as good as, um, or almost as good as the injustice stuff that he started, you know? So, all right. Uh, don't you want to do the rest of your, um, your stuff? Uh, let's see. I just had two other books. Um, I had the Superman Worlds at War, which oof, um, I I wanted to give this one a shot. Um, I, I wanted to like it a lot more than what, it, what than how I ended up feeling about it. Um, you got four stories for seven dollars and ninety nine cents. Um, it's a sixty page book, so so you, you're getting a lot of story. Um, but on the other hand, I felt like two of them were okay. Um, one of them 
I, I don't care about at all. And then one of them was just kind of confusing, and I'm not sure why it was included. Um, and, and Superman himself only appears in like four panels towards the end of the first story, and that's it. Um, so for being a Superman book, it's not a Superman book. This really felt more like one of those, um, like DC always does those like holiday specials, those, you know, when it's like Christmas time or Valentine's day or something, they always throw out one of those overpriced full of short stories, um, that, that are, they're kind of connected by theme, but not really connected. And that's what this felt more like. Um, you had all these characters that, are somehow tied to war world mongol as uh we were just talking about um and, and superman has been trapped there but we have people on earth that are wondering where superman is uh so they're talking about superman where is superman why isn't he here anymore what happened to him uh, who was he really uh, was he a shapeshifter whatever whatever that's that's your main story is a bunch of people sitting around talking about what could Superman really be? Was he an, uh, uh, a beetle from another planet that could change shape and turn into a human-like thing? Um, and then now he's on another planet? Or uh, did he die? Or did he go into another dimension and he's still fighting and he can't make his way back? Or, you know, whatever. And, again, that's kind of an interesting story, but that's generally, like, the backup story in the annual or like the fifth story in that holiday special, not the main story in the seven ninety nine book that you get as part of your um, big two month event. Um, the second story uh, was a Mister Miracle, or yeah, Mister Miracle, but it was the Shiloh Norman Mister Miracle, which is the one that nobody remembers and nobody really seemed to like. Um, and he's just an escape artist who knows some magic tricks. Um, he's not really anything. He's not a new God. He's not, you know, anything special. He's just a guy who's kind of lucky. Um, and he got some tech from, um, from uh, new Genesis and, but he finds himself stuck. He just happens to be stuck on war world while, uh, the other stuff is going on. Um, but his story doesn't really have a lot to do with, anything else that's going on except that he crosses paths with midnighter at one point and then you're like midnighter why the heck is midnighter in here this doesn't make any sense at all and then it turns out the next story is a midnighter story and then you're like oh my gosh now now i feel like my money's wasted okay fine so then you read this story and midnighter is on war world because they're making a synthetic type of almost like kryptonite and so now he's got to stop them from making this kryptonite. But of all people, why would Midnighter be on War World in space in another part of the galaxy to stop them from making this synthetic kryptonite stuff? Like, th this doesn't make any sense, except they really just want to shoe. Like, Jim Lee needs the royalties, I guess, is really what it comes down to. Is he just really needs some extra cash in his pocket? I guess because he knows his time is very limited now that AT&T has taken over. So it's like we're sticking Grifter. Yeah, exactly. We're sticking Grifter in the Batman books. We're sticking the authority into the Superman books. Try to get as many checks written as possible before they shove them out the door. Um and and so, I mean, that's the story. And then he mentions in his story at one point, and then Mr. Miracle's going to wonder what happened to me. And it's like, I, I he doesn't care. 
uh, and neither do any of us. And and then we get um, uh, I forget who the the fake Superman of the Authority was Apollos or Apollyon or whatever his name was. Um, he shows up at the end, and apparently he's the one who's making the fake kryptonite stuff because he's the villain. He's the bad guy. Hmm. So uh, okay, I get. And they don't know each other. I guess now in in the future state of the DC universe uh, or okay, fine. I don't care. So anyway, moving on. Then the last story is uh, the black racer. If anybody remembers the black racer from uh, the fourth world books, it was a guy who wore a suit of armor and he was on skis and he was like the angel of death, which was a character that never made any sense. But hey, it was a Jack Kirby creation, so everybody just went with it. And then, but it's not about that black racer. There's a different character, and she is on War World, and she pilots this mech, and this mech runs. And so she runs in this mech, and so she's known as the black racer. Um, and then she's about to crash, and you see the face of the black racer appear, and she's like, what? And then she dies, um, but then she wakes up, and then she's alive again when they're getting ready to like use her body for parts and break it down for the biomatter and whatever. So then she grabs a bunch of slaves and is trying to lead a revolt and they're all trying to escape. And you're like, okay, interesting, I guess, but what does that have to do with the black racer? Like we saw his face in one panel because she died. So he like killed her. Cause that's his thing. He's like the angel of death, but, but then she woke up. So, he failed. Is she the new black racer? Is she now going to go around taking people's souls for what we, we don't know? Like there's no conversation between them. There's no explanation. There's no like, like you shall now be the one who takes the souls. And then she becomes the one. She now has the power of the black racer or anything. No, it's just, she wakes up and, and he's gone. He's never seen again. And she's like trying to free the slaves and, and lead this revolt. And, never comes up again and i'm just i'm baffled like i'm just i'm just completely at a loss like it's one of these things and, and the only reason here's the only reason why i bought it because like I'm, I'm i'm at the store and i'm like flipping through it and i'm just like this is like this is terrible like i'm looking at it going this is terrible and i i just keep turning the page and it's like a train wreck and like it's so bad, I'm flipping through it, and I just keep flipping through it, and I just keep flipping through it, and finally Damien's like, "Hey, this isn't a library," and I'm like, "Fine." Like, I've got I've got four whole I've got three comics at this point. I've got three old comics this week. Fine, I'll buy it. So I have four old comics this so week. So I got a, I got a question for you, Dirt, before you get to your last book. Um, yeah. And this this question goes to the whole panel. If you've been at a comic book store recently. Um, how are the really expensive kind of overstuffed future state books selling? Because at least anecdotally from my, uh, for, you know, from my uh, experience over the last month that these books have been out, um, I haven't really seen too much movement of the really big ones. I've seen more movement out of the smaller ones, the ones that only have one story in them. So I don't know what you, what your store has been experiencing. I mean, it's or, I, mean I can it's tell just, you, it's only been like two weeks, mind you, because like the first slate of books only just came out last week. So, well, it's th three weeks. Oh, three weeks. No, yeah, three, excuse me, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you from the three stores that we have in town. Um, I've gone to all three of them. I've talked to. I talked to all the owners. 
Um, the the books that are like like Batman, everybody's interested in Batman, right? Uh, That's just right. because it's mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Superman, people are just like, eh, it's whatever. Like they'll just kind of wait and see what happens. Um, with Wonder Woman, just because there's it's it's a new young Wonder Woman and the artwork is fantastic. So mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted to buy it just because they think it's one of those books. Like someone said, oh, look, it, this is DC's new Miles Morales. I'm going to buy a couple of these because these are going to be worth something in five years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, like, mm, I don't mm. like, <laughs> OK, you know, I mean, invest away, buddy. Um, I, I wouldn't go that far. But um, I mean, the artwork is fantastic, is, is really nice in that in that book. Um, but I mean, for the most part, it just seems like the pandemic hurt. All the stores are saying the pandemic hurt. Um, once people broke out of that every Wednesday, walking in, grabbing your books, walking out, um, it, breaking that cycle, it, it, it detoxed people. Like it, it broke the habit. You know, they, they kicked the habit. They, they got clean um, mm-hmm. for a lot of them. And they were able to to just stop going. Um, and for a lot of people, like they're a lot of the books that they wanted are just gone. Um, the characters that they liked are now gone. The future state is wiping out, you know, stuff that they liked and characters that they liked. There was uh, uh, one character, one guy in particular that bought the Superman stuff, um, but he really liked the the secondary characters he really liked superboy and supergirl um and those type characters more than superman himself but those books like the young justice and supergirl and whatever like gone like those books are not uh, around anymore right i was really asking more about the price point because it's the price point i think that drives away the people who are impulse buyers you know all the stuff all the stuff that you stated um uh you know uh is more than likely you know gigantic factors in what's driving comic book sales now or what's driving them down but in terms of the price point i always 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 shy away from anything that's upwards of ten dollars i don't know what it is it doesn't matter if i can afford it or not i look twice at it if there's one thing I regret is not getting that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last Ronin book because that was good. <laughs> you know, I regret that. That first printing, I loved reading it, but I regret not getting it, even though it looked weird and it was expensive. But um, that's an outlier. You know, that is, uh, you know, something where uh, you see it and you can kind of justify the cost, but you're looking at uh, an eight dollar book and you're like what am i getting for this and that's really what i was trying to get at like whether or not those books are actually moving yeah well and well here's the other thing is that uh a lot of the stores didn't order that heavy on them right um so the stores around me one store in particular he said he didn't order more than 10 of any of the books because whereas before the pandemic and everything he would have ordered 40 50 copies of stuff like superman and batman and whatever now with future state he said he ordered like 10 of batman he ordered 10 of superman he ordered 10 of wonder woman and then the other stuff like swamp thing teen titans whatever he's ordering like four or five um be- because it's a there's no interest from the the people who've been buying the books for years and those those high ticket books especially um he ordered you know, it's much smaller on because there will be some, I think like the Superman, uh, uh, world of Metropolis or whatever that one's called. That's a three ninety nine mm-hmm. one. Um, and, and people are more willing to, to pick that up. 
uh, just because it's, you know, it's four bucks, whatever. But yeah, these big ones that are $7.99, I hear people walk in and look at it and they're always just like, poof, and they put it right back. Okay. Because the, the value, it's, it's tough a lot of times to see the value in paying $4 right. for the comic you're getting. And it's so much harder, even if it's a $60 book with four stories, like you've got to have some banging stories to justify $7.99 and 60 pages. And like this, my my first, like if I'm a customer, maybe I've been away from comics for a while. It's like, oh, future state's a thing, whatever. I'm going to go check it out. If I was a customer walking in out of the cold and the first thing I bought was this Superman Worlds at War and I paid $7.99 for this book, I'd be like, I'm, I'm done. Like I just paid $8 for a book that had four stories. And I got three panels of Superman mm-hmm. out of a Superman comic, right. like, you know, terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, that price point makes it really, and especially the, the variants, um, all the stores around me, if they order the variants, they will take the variant and then just mark it up by $1 mm-hmm. and put it in a bag and board with a, with a sticker. So um, this book is $7.99. They had the variant cover for $8.99. Wow. And, and, and nobody wanted, you know, he, like I, I said something to one of the guys at, at one of the, uh, there's a shop that it's more of like magic cards and, and role-playing games, but he does have comics. Mm-hmm. And I go in and talk to him every once in a while. And I stopped in and talked to him and, and he, he had like, five of the variants sitting on the shelf and he's like i'm gonna have those books forever he said i'm never gonna sell those those are gonna be on my shelf until the end of time it's too bad all right and so, you got your last book well i was gonna say before we, uh, my before l- we go into, oh. well before we go into further i wouldn't say that like you know the the future say stuff is is probably kind of a sale at this point but at the same time it would be interesting to know what different people in different areas um you know what it's like in there because obviously you know, that that right there is is anecdotal to uh, to dirt in his area. Um, so if anybody out there wanna uh, you know have you know any thoughts about how things are going, how selling on the future state stuff in the area, please blah, blah, drop us a line. Uh, CB Cron on on Twitter or any of our uh, social uh, media stuff. I know I will say though the the, the definitely the the future state stuff. Even though you you definitely get a lot of story for the stuff like kind of like dirt said, it's like yeah, it is kind of a hard proposition because some of that stuff doesn't seem to mesh uh well with a lot of stuff or at least within itself in a lot of cases and some stuff kind of seems like well it's kind of going off of something but maybe it's connecting in the way we don't necessarily know just yet but also we're still getting a good, a good bit of stuff stuff for your buck so this you know the proposition is what it is to the reader well, i guess yeah and, and even and even i'll say like i enjoyed the swamp thing book like i enjoyed that one a lot and and it was only a three ninety nine one, wow. uh, so I took a gamble on it, you know, because again, I I only had like four books, whatever. Um, so I, I was like, I'll I'll try it. I really enjoyed it because I recognized the writer. Um, I thought this was a lot of fun, but the problem is, in two months, it's over, and then we're back in current time. So even though I enjoyed the post apocalyptic story of Swamp Thing set. Uh, you know, 400 years in the future or whatever it is, um, it, it's it's gone after the next issue, which is a shame because if they said that that was going to be a Swamp Thing 
ongoing series or 12 issue series or whatever, I would be interested in reading it um, because that was really well done. Now, it also helps, though, that I do recognize the writer because some of this other stuff, I look at it and it's like, who is this guy? And I grab my phone and I look at it and it's like, um, you know, wrote. Uh, you know, some uh, animated movie for WB animation. It's like, oh, yeah, nah, I'll you know, pass, whatever, because I'm not that interested because I, I watch a lot of those. Well, I don't anymore, but when they first started coming out, it's like, oh, look at all these animated movies. But then I watch them and it's like, they're so different from the comics. I don't like them. For no reason. Because, Let's not talk well, about Because I like the theme joke. <laughs> I like, yeah, I like the yeah, killing joke was was one of the worst where they made those massive changes. But yeah, it's like, it's like I like the comics, and if you're gonna make an animated, you would think of all people, WB, who owns DC Comics, if if WB is making their own animated movie based off their own comics, they should be able to make it a hundred percent or even 90%. Like maybe you want to cut out some of the subplots that tie into the issues that came right before, or the issue of justice league that spins off whatever, like, okay, that's fine. You want to take out, uh, nobody knows who fire and ice from justice league international are, you know, fine, you know, cut them out of the story. You know, that's, that makes sense. Um, but you watch these animated movies and they change so much of the story. And it's just like, I don't, I don't like these. Like, I don't want to watch them anymore. You know, I've got HBO Max and they're like, hey, check out all this DC stuff. And I every so often I kind of flip through that section. I'm just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I no. give it on every once in a while. But um uh all right. Um uh all right, you just gonna, take care well, of that before, one book, before, last book, or well, are we wait, gonna before, say goodbye? Well, wait, before, before I say to, before I do my final book, oh, I was just gonna say goodbye. But yeah, we say my oh, okay. classic had to leave because you know his time was uh, with us for short. But um, appreciate classic for coming through. Um, you know, hopefully we'll have him back again soon, some point. Um, okay, but my final book then, uh, Courier. Um, this is actually from Zenoscope of of all places. Um, I actually uh, I enjoyed the first series, and I think uh, the first series was my click for one or two of the issues at least. Uh, from the first series, Ashes to Ashes, that came out a couple years ago. This is the Courier Liberty and Liberty and Death. I thought it was Liberty or Death, but no, it's Liberty and Death. Um, this is a post-apocalyptic uh, future story. Um, a virus has wiped out most of humanity. Um, there are these pockets of people that still exist in these towns, and there are these crazy mutant things in between. And so... Uh, the couriers basically exist um, to take needed items from one area to another area. So they get paid a lot of money to take people or medicine or weapons or whatever it is uh, from one town um, to another town. And they have to travel through these treacherous uh, places. Um, and so, of course... With it being, uh, you know, one of these stories, it's what they're transporting is never quite what it seems to be. And the first series was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and I, they came out with the second series. Um, it's it's really good. Um, I want to recommend this book to people. If you can find a shop that has this, uh, I would recommend picking it up because it is a fun story. She's got a little drone uh, that has AI 
very similar to Skeets that follows around Blue Beetle um, that she can send out to do some scouting and report back. And it's if you want to say there's a, like a Walking Dead type vibe, you know, the way that these um, you know towns are out in the middle of nowhere and then you've got the dead areas in between. There's always, you know, little bits of humanity still trying to scavenge. Um, there's, you know, that Mad Max feel, whatever you want to throw in there, that idea of uh, people living in the ruins and trying to rebuild society. But there's a lot of action and a lot of fun. There's kind of that 80s um, um, action movie vibe to it uh, with the way that she gets into fights and, um, um, you know, has to fend for herself. And then it, as it turns out, she's always ending up protecting somebody else uh, because they're too stupid uh, to figure out what's going on or too feeble or caught in a trap. And um, she's there to rescue them. So um, it, it's it's a really well done series. And I'm, I'm glad that they brought it back for another mini series because the way the first series ended, it kind of wrapped everything up nicely. And you were like, wow, that's kind of way too nice. And then you find out at the beginning of this one, it didn't wrap up as nicely as you thought. Uh, things that seemed to go, you know, so perfectly at the end of the last one. Well, she kind of got stabbed in the back a little bit by uh, a few things. And so uh, it's, it's a fun follow up to the last series. And I highly recommend it. All righty. Cool. Um, well, since I got mine kind of prepared, let me go ahead and get mine out of the way real quick then. Uh, oh, I'll chime in on anything I read. Yeah, because I know there's at least one uh, or two. So let's see, we got uh, Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, written by Larry Hama, artist uh, David Watcher, colorist Nira Minon, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, so pays back, and this is pretty much setting up the fact that um, Danny and who I'm not sure who this person was. I know this had something to do with that one particular um that uh that one series, but uh but they take a little trip to the seven deadly seven heavenly cities and arrive into a bit of scuffle. Uh a taskmaster and a lot bigger and a lot of bigger words than Iron Fist is used to uh spouting off in the last few years uh come along for the ride. Uh Luke babysitting pay was um was was pretty cute and it all kind of goes into a a bigger thing that's something to do with heaven and some troubles uh going on in the heavenly cities that uh that iron fist and crew is going to get into uh in this mini series i'm not sure how long this mini series is going to be i remember when we talked about it being announced but i don't remember it um what the length of it's going to be I am not sure. I can just say that I did read this. I did notice what you were referring to when it comes to um, the vocabulary that Daniel Rand was wielding in this issue. Shout out to Larry Hama. Exactly. Uh, I kind of got a kick out of that. And it's nice to see him getting some mainstream comic work at Marvel. Yep. 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 Uh, Cable number seven, uh, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Phil Noto, which is always lovely. Uh, lettering by VCs Joe Sabino. Did you read this one? I did. Okay, cool. Um, so healed up Cable is back on his original mission, but not in King and Black as uh, as um, something we read last week may or may not have alluded to. Uh, this time, Rachel's joining Cable on the search um, in an old enemy that is uh, is seemingly behind us as when we find out, which if you know Cable, it's only going to be a couple of people, but it's the one, let's say, closest to him. Um, Scott keeps uh, coming in for 
emotional support and I'm loving it. Um, and we're about to see, and are we about to see a classic sort of X-Force team up? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what's teased at the end of the issue. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you got anything else on that one or not. Nope. Go ahead. Uh, X-Force number 16. I do know you did read this one. Yes. Uh, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Joshua Kassara, colorist by uh, Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Joe Karamanga. Uh, so a little bit more. We get into a little bit more about that Krakoan mutation thing that happened um, the last issue or so that attacked the island. Uh, and of course, Beast has that look in his eye again when you know a new discovery happens where he thinks he's going to weaponize. Um, but the the crux of the issue is basically Forge, Wolverine, and, and Quint Choir going down underneath the uh, ocean near Krakoa and trying to excise uh, the cause of the problem. Which, of course, if we're thinking, dealing with anything underwater, you know who shows up um, and uh, actually helps. <laughs> right, right. Or at least puts, or at least puts a, a delay on maybe dealing with this, this issue that, that comes up as a result of uh, something happening to Krakoa. You know, right. this mutation or whatever that causes some zombified U.S. sailors to wash up on Krakoa's shores. Um I, I just wanted to mention that it's Dr. Cecilia Reyes who who, who sticks up for um, what shouldn't be done, mm. you know, who sticks up for what should be done and against what should not be done and, and, and reminds Beast, hey, you need to chill with this stuff that you keep trying to do mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, Beast is getting a little bit too mad scientist-y for uh, everyone's sake. Pretty much. Um so that being said, um, and yeah, I'm going to wonder if that if that that the person who shows up near the end of the book is going to, um, I assume, is going to come back up at some point because you got to wonder, you know, if, if it's going to play into something else, yeah, you know, going forward, which would make sense. Uh, Transformers 27, uh, written by Brian Buckley, art by Fico Osio, uh, colors by David Garcia Cruz, letters by Jake M. Wood. So Skyland shows up. Apparently, um, <laughs> and um, there's a Cybertronian name after a sausage. We don't know. I don't know why I put that in my notes, but I did anyway. But regardless, uh, a crew of Autobots are on the way to help take back the a moon uh, that's seemingly been, well, at least somebody was trying to take over in the last couple of issues um, from the Rise, formerly known as the Rise, but not known as the Decepticons. But apparently, this group didn't get the message yet. Um, and the engineers are they're holding ground, uh, home alone style, basically. Uh, also, and also maybe something to do with Transformers Escape, which is another miniseries that's come out recently that might have something to do with this, but uh, not really sure. I know it definitely does come off of it, but uh, and everybody heads back to Cybertron for the big deal in the in this book, except for Cosmos for some reason. Um, I don't know, Dirt. Are you reading this book? No. Okay. <laughs> I I I was reading the Transformers books a couple of years ago, but then they did that thing where they had like I don't know sixteen books coming out a month, yeah. and I just I could not keep up. They might be starting to kind of sort of starting to get that back to that point, but at least they've been like more miniseries than just actual ongoing. Like this is the only ongoing that they have, but they've been definitely doling out a lot of uh, miniseries and and whatnot on the side. 
Uh, my last couple of books, uh, Future State, The Next Batman, number two, uh, written by John Ridley, art by Laura Braga, breakdowns by Nick Derrington, uh, colors by Arif Prianto, and colors, I mean, it's going to be a letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh, I may have said it before, but Future State feels like they mixed Outlawed and Secret Wars tie-ins, uh, which still holds true definitely in this case. Uh, the new bat tries to figure out who was behind the hit while his mom is trying to figure out, uh, the, trying out how to fight the log going after costume folks. And as uh, I believe agent 70 said before the show, um, he's definitely having a puncher esque, um, dilemma on him, uh, going into that. But also let's see, we found out that, uh, Fox tech is behind the Magistrate's weapon, which that should definitely come up uh, in this book and another book at some point. Uh, and the backup story has to do with, uh, Cassandra Kane and spoiler behind bars, uh, in a Magistrate detention center. And things aren't always what they seem on that one. And then there was another Gotham city sirens backup, uh, on after that. Um, and I forgot to get the creative teams on those, but they were what they were. Uh, last but not least, Future State, Immortal Wonder... Wait, did, did anybody read that one, actually? The next Batman 2? Okay. Oh, I did, but it, you covered it all. Okay. Uh, Future State, Immortal Wonder Woman, number one, written by Becky Clonan uh, and Michael W. Conrad, art by Jim Bartell, letters by Brett Pat Brousseau. Uh, and the backup story was written by L.O. McKinney, uh, art by Aletha Martinez, uh, letters Mark, Mora- Mark Morales, and colors by Emilio Lopez. Uh, the Jim Bartell art is great, and is, I love it. Um, it does feel like a, a little bit more of an all-ages book with the art, though, but it's still pretty great. Um, and it's set, as I kind of alluded to this earlier, it was like kind of set in, seems to be set in a future, future time, because it also said uh, that Swamp Thing comes up in a capacity we see feels like Diana fighting at the very end of the earth uh, of the world. And there's some allusion to an undoing, which I'm thinking I thought might have something to do with dark Knight's death metal, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, but we do see what that undoing is and dark side shows up um, also as a part of that. And as far as the backup story, which is Nubia, um, we've found out that Nubia is on the hunt for some article fact that may be closer to her than she realizes after running with grail. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I made a note here about the aunt Nancy's that she goes to see, which is, uh, supposed to be an a Nazi, I suppose, uh, looks like CCH pounder. And I would love to see that as uh, in animated form. And that is it for me. All right. I just wanted to mention, I was flipping through that future state immortal Wonder Woman just now. And there's a, there's like a hint of King and black in here in mm-hmm. the in Jim Bartell art in the first, in the first uh, story. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, just, just, uh, you know, reading these things together. It's kind of like, Oh, that looks familiar. All right. I will run through the last of my books. Roddy Cat, uh, covered one of them. Um, first up for me is Philadelphia number 12. This is an image book written by Rodney Barnes, art by Jason, Jason, Sean Alexander, and colors by Louise Nicht. The Before end of the story. going too much. I might have to sign off. Okay. Right. Tim, pass my bed, joining right. us. Thank yeah, you. Wait, do you, have a, do you have a click? Do you have a click first? Uh, I'll go Avengers 41. That's the number. Okay. Yeah, 41. We got Sounds you. good. See you, gang. Many thanks, Tim. Peace. Talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. All righty. 
Um, uh, back to Philadelphia number 12. It's written by Rodney Barnes with art by Jason Sean Alexander and colors by Louis Nicht. As I said, it's the end of the second story arc, um, which ends in a nice cliffhanger involving the Adams family. Uh, given that they are vampires, it's okay to make the joke. And what may come of the potential vampire takeover of Philly? The backup story featuring werewolves takes a decided turn towards a future crossover into the main story. Uh, next up is Future State Nightwing number one. It's written by Andrew Constant with art by the awesomely cool Nicola Scott. Colors by Ivan Placencia. Nightwing is the head of the mask resistance against the magistrate, and the book opens with a confrontation between Nightwing and the new peacekeepers of Gotham. The future state Batman finds Nightwing to convince him they should work together, but Nightwing has seemingly drawn the magistrate's forces to drive a confrontation between them. So uh, that's the last book that I have. I just wanted to mention that it seems to me, at least, and obviously I'm not reading all of Future State, but it seems to me that at least the Batman corner of the DC universe is keeping fairly cohesive and going into the somewhat near future yeah. based on where the the, the Tinian uh, books had kind of wrapped up before Future State, you know, with the with uh, Mayor Nakano or Nagano. I think I'm not sure. I, I can't remember if it's Nakano or Nagano, but because Nagano is a city, but I think it's Nakano. But um, it seems like this. Uh, corner of the DCU has chosen to go into what was kind of a natural progression into future state and telling what seems to be maybe not several years, but definitely a, a few years. You know, I know that the tease is at the beginning of these um, Batman corner of the uh, Batman books that is say that it's several years, but several can mean three. So um, it's hard to, you know, it's hard, it's it just seems like very much uh, a natural progression from where they ended up at the end of um, the, the the regular run of the books before the pause for Future State. And that's it for me. So we'll get to clicks of the week, huh? Yep. Uh, so we got Tim's already with Avengers Founder One. Uh, anybody else got theirs? Which I know you got yours. Yeah, and if you couldn't gather it from my review, it would be the Courier, Liberty, and Death number one. All right. Nice. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think mine's pretty easy. It's the I, it's the it's the one I had the most fun with, even though I did enjoy Avengers number forty one, mm. and that's Black Cat number two. Yeah, I think I might actually you know, join you on that one because it, it definitely was probably the most fun book I've read this week. Like, you know, I, I the Avengers being what it is, and that was good. And um, the Iron Fist, uh book was actually not bad either. Um, oh, it was fun. I, I read it, but I just didn't have a chance to really sit down and write out um, uh, some notes on it. But yeah, it was good. Yeah, but definitely check that out. But yeah, I'm definitely going to be going with uh, Black Cat number two on this one is with uh, Agent uh, 70. And I saw, I see somebody wrote down, I'm assuming, is this you, Dirt, with the Star Wars, the back issue thing? Or who was who this with the back issue thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, which, and one of the very few times that someone's actually written anything in this section, <laughs> apparently uh, Dirt's read, uh, has caught up with the, the Star Wars uh, Darth Vader stuff. What you thinking? Are you saying? Well, you say what you say in here, but 
the let the last current series is it was a uh, good stuff so cool yeah i've been i've been enjoying it so far um i don't know if you had anything else you want to oh, talk I, about I, that. I didn't realize i was muted I'm, oh. I was trying to talk. I didn't realize I was muted. Um, yeah, I was just saying, I'm like, is he saying something? I yeah, can't right. Tell. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, just because I've had uh, not a whole lot to read, and, um, you know, I actually, I kind of started in the pandemic, but then uh, had I didn't realize that uh, Darth Vader number two was a much sought after book. Um, I didn't realize that it now goes for like 15, 20 bucks on eBay because uh, Padme's. Uh, uh, lookalikes started showing back up, and yes. that's apparently a big deal. Yeah. Um. So it took me a while to. to eventually, I found like a second print of number two because they brought more of those, and so then I was I was able to get caught up. Um. But I I got done reading all of those, and uh, I read just the Star Wars and Darth Vader. I did not read the Doctor Aphra or the Bounty Hunters or any of the other whatevers. Um. Just read those two titles. And I gotta say, I really like both of those yeah. series. Um, I think the artwork in Star Wars is a lot better than what's been in Darth Vader, um, and I think the story in Star Wars overall is a little tighter, um, and it's it's a lot more. Um, I, I want to say it moves better. I think than uh, Darth Vader. Darth Vader, I think, is getting bogged down too much in the details, and it's taking a lot longer to work through uh, the storyline. Um, so it's it's one of those things where, like, where eight or nine, I think nine is the one that just came out, and it, it feels like it's like maybe um, two weeks have gone by or something like that. Um, you know, whereas opposed to Star Wars, it's uh, ten. 10 or 11, whatever just came out. And then it's, it's been a couple weeks, uh, several weeks, uh, you know, month, two months, whatever. Um, so it's just one of those things where the story, it just bogged down in, in the stuff. But, uh, I was really impressed at how well they tied everything together. Um, they brought in a lot of, a lot of the prequel stuff. And I was just at first like, mm, do we really have to go back to all of this? Um, but they brought it in right after Empire Strikes, Strikes Back and, um, you know, tied in a lot of that prequel stuff. And it just worked and it felt right. Like it made sense the way they they tied all, a lot of that stuff back together because it, the confrontation between Vader uh, and Luke at the end of Empire was a big deal. That was a game changer. And then the Darth Vader series goes one way and the Luke. The Star Wars series goes another way, uh, but then the Star Wars series doesn't just stick on Luke. Like it's got a whole story with Leia, and it's got Lando Calrissian uh, and Chewie coming back, and it's got you know C three PO is is doing his stuff, and you know it, it just does a really good job of juggling and balancing all the different characters and making sure that everybody's got a story uh, from the whole ensemble of uh, characters. So I was really impressed with with how good those two series are so um yeah i i was like yeah put these on my list um you know i've, I've dumped so much other stuff uh lately and, and stuff has been canceled um that i've been reading uh that i've really enjoyed so yeah put these on my list i'm going to be reading these two from now on at least for the time being uh these are these are great so uh, i'm definitely looking forward to uh, having these uh in my pull box from now on 
Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. They, and, and yeah, where the place you, where you said they started from, like, which we just talked about, was definitely the most logical place for them to come off of. And yeah, even the stuff they've done with like the side characters that they've been like pushing up to the front a little bit more has been pretty good. Like my Poe's mom and dad and, you know, some of the other people, you know, in the resistance outside of, you know, the Luke Lee and the crew it has been some good stuff. Uh, you hadn't checked out the High Republic stuff, have you? No, yeah. no, I, and I, I probably won't. I'm not really, I'm not really into like the whole expanded universe and all that stuff. I enjoyed the Mandalorian, but that was mainly because it was, it was really a western, mm-hmm. um, and it just happened to have laser guns and stuff. But it wasn't like it was, it was Star Wars, but it wasn't Star Wars, and I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. The same way I enjoyed Krypton season one a lot. The Krypton season two was like. Jumping the shark, though, that was like Cousin Owen showing up uh, in season two of Krypton. But Krypton season one was it was it was just a sci fi show uh, on this alien planet that it tied into Superman, but it really wasn't a, a, a Superman thing. It wasn't a DC Comics thing. It just happened to be, um, you know, on Krypton, but it really wasn't about all of that so much as it was just like a cool sci fi show. Um, and so I think that's why I enjoyed it. So like going back to what we were talking about earlier with the uh, Warner Brothers animation and stuff, it's like um, it, I, I think I like stuff like Mandalorian and I like the first season of Krypton because they tied into but but they they didn't really they weren't trying. They changed so much, but they weren't trying to really be an adaptation of anything. They were just kind of doing their own kind of off on their own and i don't like whenever i i try to do something like uh like the games jedi outcast and a lot of that kind of stuff i'm just looking at it going like eh. it's like th- there's a guy who's like kind of like han solo but he's got like this lightsaber and, or shadows of the empire or whatever and it's just like eh. like i'd rather play with those characters if that's what i'm doing you know if you're if you're gonna put me in that universe either give me those characters or give me something completely different somewhere else um, and so I, I don't look forward to anything else really from the Star Wars universe. I just plan on sticking with like these. These are, you know, this is my trilogy. These are my characters. I'm sticking with these books. Sure. Sure. But there's some other good stuff out there, though, I will say. Um, that being the case, though, so we're just finished clicks of the week. We were going to an ad read before we hit the, the news. And oh. that will be time for my traditional leave uh, because it is time for my bedtime. Okay, no Time for my nighty nights. So thank you for having me. Not a problem, good sir. Um, Thanks for joining. So I'll be back for, uh, I guess, number 800 then. (laughs) Come on, there's always the year-end show. I mean, the the, the 2020 uh, year-ender. But but shouldn't the 2020 recap have been the first episode of 2021? Nah. Look at how long it takes to fill out the sheets. Yeah, fair enough. As long as we don't do it like we did, well, as long as we do it, one, as long as we get it out by June, we think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we doing it like fiscal year? Is that how it works? Uh, you know, awesome. we, we work it like that. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> All, All right, right thanks, guys. I'll see you later. 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 All right, Adri. All right. 
Our first ad read of the night is for Funko, Fun at First Sight. It's your home for exclusive collectibles, such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise, such as custom DIY pop figures, art books, and skateboards. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. To place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us, that's cspn.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcast podcast free link at the top of the page from there scroll down to the funko link and place your order when you get to the checkout put in the offer code shop 10 for your 10 percent off discount funko through cspn.us do it today now we get into the news and we start off like we do every week with the cinematic news. Uh, first off, we got some new details, uh, including fatalities and such, but on the new Mortal Kombat reboot. Um, so new details and first look images have been released for the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, which will debut in theaters and on HBO in April. Uh, Entertainment Weekly first offered fans a closer look at the R-rated movie, while WD Pictures have provided official photos you can see be uh, below in this article, which you can find in our show notes, uh, which features a cast of future fighters, including uh, Mikad Brooks as Jackson Jax Brooks. Uh, you might know him as uh, Jim Olsen on, on Supergirl. Uh, Chin Han as Shang Tsung, Hiroyuki Sanada um, as Scorpion, which almost made me excited because I was thinking, like, wait, is he, they got him back, but it's not the same person I'm thinking about. Joel Taslim as Sub-Zero, which is also good on the book. Uh, Tadanobu Asano as Raiden, Ludi Lin as Liu Kang, Cece Stringer as Melina, Josh Lawson as Kano, Kano excuse me, uh, Jessica McNamee as Sonya Blade, Max Huang as Long Lao Max, and Louis Tan as an all-new character, uh, to which we find out in the course of this, during the synopsis, he's playing uh, an MMA fighter who gets wrapped up in, or as, a, as this article says, a washed-up MMA fighter named Cole Young who gets... Um, who apparently bears a birthmark in the shape of the Mortal Kombat symbol on his chest. That's a hell of a birthmark to have. Uh, and gets him wrapped up into the whole uh, Mortal Kombat scene. So, I don't know. It still seems interesting. We'll see how it goes. Next up. Next up, uh, apparently WandaVision's home address is a quiet but critical nod to Marvel's, spoiler alert, multiverse. So, uh, since... Uh, WandaVision kicked off last week with two episodes. What was revealed is that on their home street in Westview, Wanda and Vision live at number 2800, which, se which seems to allude to the idea that the MTU superheroes live on Earth 2800 in the larger Marvel multiverse. Um, just like the regular uh, Marvel comic book characters live on uh, Earth 616. So in Tom King's and... Um, Gabriel Hernandez Walter's The Vision Limited series that we all really liked and appreciated. Yep. Um, uh, that series, which does provide some inspiration for WandaVision, uh, in that series, the address that they were living at in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. was number 616. So it seems like that might definitely be an allusion to where they are in the greater Marvel multiverse. Yeah. So this article kind of goes and makes, I feel, I feel like makes a stretch with another illusion that they, uh, That's why I, 
keep going. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, that's why I didn't keep going. Yeah, but I just wanted to bring it up. So I know, so Good. slight spoiler for for um, WandaVision season two, but it's, but it's also dealing with that number 2800. They make allusion to another thing that shows up in the show. Um, but it's not necessarily as they say it is, or at least they, they're making it out to be, right? this is also another allusion to 2800 when a certain watch shows up. And it shows the time, and they make they they make sure to point out that it's that is pointing to two different two numbers, well, the two and eight, which it doesn't. So it's but they're basically saying that yeah, this and that what you just mentioned uh, is all allusion uh, alluding to the um, possible place in the multiverse. So I'm saying like that that you was good with the first one, that second one not so much. I don't think. Because the time doesn't doesn't say what you what it says what you're alluding out to be. But regardless, hopefully, if you're watching Wandavision, we didn't spoil anything for you too much. But I, but I will also say that um, in our show notes, there is a couple of Easter egg uh, videos from Screen Crush Crush that if you've watched the show, they point out some things that may or may not be the case. But some some of it seems to be. Um, have some legs and there's even a theory in there to which I didn't really take too much note into, but I think I wish Tim stayed like in it. Cause I would have loved how he came across that one also. Um, but there's an illusion made as to who may or may not be behind things as opposed to what we, well, some of us believe may be the case going back to a certain other Marvel event, put it that way. But that's in the show notes. Uh, next up though, speaking of WandaVision, um, WandaVision's tiniest Easter egg begs you to behold a huge Marvel debut. So, uh, apparently during uh, the water cooler events, uh, vignette, which I believe was in the first episode, um, it says if one squints hard or blows up the image, they can make out a, f- a five, seven on the upper right corner of the cooler. Uh, which looks like a model number, which is actually a nod to Avengers number 57, which is the debut of Vision uh, in Avengers uh, number 57 from 1968. I didn't notice that. There's actually a few things I didn't notice, but I looked at that, that screen crush video that I thought I was just showing you about, and I didn't notice some other stuff. They also kept alluding to some person that's in the background of that shot that I'm like, I don't know who that person was supposed to be, but apparently it goes back to one of the movies but they don't call them that by a name outside of whatever name they give them in the, the video. And I don't know what the, the thing is about that, but it is what it is. So, but as you can see uh, in the, if you're watching the video version of this, you can see that the, the, the folks at CBR pointed out, uh, pointed out the, the nod in question here, which is actually pretty cool. So I love they they've been throwing little things like that. Now there are some things I have noticed, but yeah, some of the stuff that the, some of that the video showed, I hadn't really seen, which actually makes me want to go back and watch the, the show again. I don't know about you. Uh, I might at the end, you know, huh? when it's all said and done. Yeah, I might go back and take a look for that stuff. Uh, nice. Next up, um, apparently Paul Bettany was speaking to IMDb. And revealed that there was a stinger setting up Marvel Phase 4 originally planned with uh, that was going to reveal details post-Endgame. Um, you know, the stinger was going to be uh, set up after uh, Endgame and it would have set up WandaVision. Uh, Bettany outlined the scrap tag saying that at one point there was going to be a tag where uh, the Scarlet Witch opened a body bag drawer and there was the Vision. 
Um, what it's, what is not known is that why this uh, post-credit scene was left on the cutting room floor, other other than Bettany explaining that it was Kevin Feige who decided to pull the shot. Okay. Yeah, which would also probably seem weird anyway. Why would he be coming out of a body bag drawer since he's an? But anyway, we won't go into all of that. Um, say I do with these re- replica wedding rings from WandaVision. So that's probably also a spoiler, but this is also a spoiler that you, you would have seen in the trailer if you've seen any of the trailers leading up to it. So it's not really that much of a spoiler. Uh, fans will soon have the, a chance to own a piece of merchandise inspired by WandaVision. No reality bending or Android powers required. Uh, basically, Entertainment Earth is selling a replica three-piece set featuring the rings, Wanda Maximoff, and Vision wear in the television series. Uh, the rings are made with uh, stainless steel and with Ronda's two rings measuring approximately the, the, a woman's size 7 and Vision's ring uh, size 10. Pardon me. Uh, the replica wings, rings will go on sale at Entertainment Earth's official website at 12 noon Eastern, which I was assuming was to five days ago when this article came out. Um, the complete set costs, uh, 60 bucks and quantities will be limited. So probably if you hadn't gotten them by now, you may or may not be out of luck. Next up. All right. Uh, according to a report from the Hollywood reporter, Ethan Hawke has been cast in the Disney plus series moon Knight, and he's going to star as the series main villain opposite Oscar Isaac, who's set to portray moon Knight. It's not clear which bad guy Hawk will play specifically. Um, not sure. You know, my my gut says that it's supposed to be Conchu. That's my. That's who I think it is. I don't think it's going to be Bushman. I think it's going to be Conchu. Wouldn't necessarily be a bad guy, but I guess I guess given that they have had contention with each other, that does make sense. Yeah, I was like, because I was sitting here thinking, like, does Moonlight have much of a roster outside of folks that didn't come from other places? You got me. Yeah, you got so, me. You know, I'm not as well read on uh, on Moon Knight, and um, you know, it, it's just that you know my my original understanding of uh, Bushman is that he's a person of color as well. Mm-hmm. So I would hope Marvel doesn't go down that road of uh, 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 of um, you know with this character uh, by casting um, Ethan Hawke there, but um, at the same time. My, you know, the the given the the recent emphasis on Kanju in the last several Moon Knight right. miniseries, as opposed to Bushman. Well, I mean, pretty much uh, any any of them, really. But, no, yeah. but like specifically the last mm-hmm. several, you know, miniseries have really dealt with Kanju's uh, influence. But as you said, that's always been the case. But I think more so recently than even when Moon Knight was kind of super heroic in the nineties. Right. So yeah. that's really. That, that I, I, my gut says that's where a lot of the influence is probably going to come from. So we'll see. I mean, Kanchu, even if it's not as the bad guy, Kanchu definitely should show up, at, you know, in some way, shape, or form. So I, right. I, I'm definitely agree with you there. All right. Um, she Hulk, uh, Disney Plus series cast General for Walter's best friend. Uh, which is kind of weird to me, but I'll get into that in a second. Uh, She-Hulk continues to fill out this cast with the addition of act- of the actor who will play Jennifer Walters' best friend. Ginger Gonzaga will play the character who so far has not been officially named. Uh, Gonzaga will be teaming up with uh, Tatiana Mas- Maslany, who uh, play- portrays the titular hero. Uh, 
Uh, deadline with the first report that Gonzalo Gil is the new hire of the series. And as usual, Marvel doesn't have any uh, comment on the report. So here's my thing. At later, um, later series of, um, or at least in the last eight, let's say 10 years, I guess, or something like that, She-Hulk has pretty much been running around with Patsy Walker. And we know there's a Patsy Walker from the Netflix stuff. Um, so I would be curious if, if this person is going to be playing either Patsy Walker or is it someone else that I may, may not remember from past, uh, see, uh, She-Hulk, uh, series. Um, yeah. So, but I guess we'll find out at some point next up. Next up, Marvel's Behind the Mask documentary is going to air on Disney+. Plus. Uh, they're going to debut a new documentary uh, in February, which explores the power of identity via its heroes and creators. Um, Marvel's Behind the Mask is going to feature multiple guests, including the creators behind several Marvel heroes like the X-Men and the newest Spider-Man, Miles Morales. The interviews will highlight the 80 years of cultural impact Marvel has had on pop culture. Uh, the documentary is directed by Michael Jacobs and produced by Chris Gary and Ryan Simon for Tarmac Creative and Strike Anywhere. Okay. Many of the many of Marvel's executives, including Joe Quesada and Stephen Wacker, were also, will also produce the documentary. Okay. Cool. Actually, there is someone I think they could probably do for that She-Hulk thing, but they were not necessarily best friends. But, we'll again, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, this is kind of cool, too. Uh, next up, uh, Daredevil actor Charlie Cox is reportedly filming scenes for uh, Spider-Man 3. I, I, I want to restress the reportedly, because I know some people are taking this as, like, yeah, it's happening. Uh, according to comicbook.com's podcast Phase Zero, one quote-unquote very good source who supposedly also tipped him off uh, to Owen Wilson appearing in Loki has revealed that Charlie Cox has been seen on the set of uh, Spider-Man three, which even if that was the case still may or may not mean anything. If that's, if that's good, but we know the rumors have been out there about uh, Spidey needing legal representation and, and where they would go for that. So, I mean, I kind of hope this is true, but you know, we'll, we'll see how it uh, goes. And it also says here is, is that at the early stage is not known whether he's going to play the Netflix version of the man without fear or even playing him at all. Um, there's even a chance Matt Mata could be drafted in to help protect Tom Holland's Peter Hawk, uh, Peter Parker in the wake of Spider-Man far from home ending, which made the, the webhead public enemy number one. And we're hoping there won't be an, a brand new day situation coming up. That's just me putting that in there. Next up. Yeah. Next up, uh, Chris Hemsworth begins filming Thor Love and Thunder this week. Uh, he shared a family vacation photo with fans before filming the latest uh, Asgardian tale in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He posted on Instagram, great to get away for a few days to at visit Lord Howe How Island before starting on hashtag Thor Love and Thunder this week. So I did see this. I got a kick out of this that, uh, you know, it's fun that uh, it's underway. Indeed. Uh, speaking of Chris Hemsworth, uh, Extraction 2 update, uh, the latest on the sequel to the Netflix most popular original movie. Um, like, well, I don't know how true that is. Anyway, uh, reaching 99 million homes over its first four weeks, Netflix Extraction, which stars Thor actor Chris Hemsworth, is or was the most popular Netflix original movie of its of all time. 
or at least to date. I'm, I'm going to put that in there. Uh, so it makes sense that a sequel is currently in production, but many questions remain like what the story would be. Uh, Cause yeah, that, that the end of that kind of ended a certain particular way. Um, but apparently director Sam Hargrave, excuse me, who made his feature directorial debut with Extraction, explained to Collider that the team remains on schedule to film the sequel later this year, pending any adjustments due to COVID. Uh, quote, unquote, that's kind of everyone's little caveat right now, but we're moving forward on it as if we're shooting in the fall. Um, and if you didn't know, uh, Joe Russo wrote the script for the first one and is also writing the sequel. And said, Hargrove said that Russo is finalizing the script right now. Cool. Next. Next up, uh, Ryan Watson, who serves as the stunt coordinator on the Disney Plus Star Wars series The Mandalorian, explained how a broken Darksaber prop resulted in Season 2's best fight sequence. Spoiler alert for The Mandalorian Season 2. Indeed. Um, Speaking with THR, Watson revealed how the typical half-sword prop used to safely film sword fights was broken by Giancarlo Esposito when he was uh, fighting uh, Din Djarin. So they ended up having to use a full sword, which makes the top end even heavier. So now the swings are a little bit harder. The intensity of the, of the fight was probably the highest of both seasons. Giancarlo brought some real intensity to that fight. The stuntman playing Din Djarin finished one time and said, that was like a real fight. Um, he was truly ducking for his life. Um, Esposito made it no secret in early 2020 that he destroyed several Darksaber props while filming season two. Um, he said back at, back then that he thinks he'd gone through two, three, three and a half um, already, but he goes at it. He's broken a few of them. The prop guys, they love him, but they go, man, you go all in. Uh, Watson corroborated this in this interview, saying that they were destroyed completely, like the Darksaber went down and their very expensive Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder oh, if we get to, got to keep any of that um, probably not the broken ones obviously but you know we just kind of happen to take one if you were so inclined that's funny that's funny though all right next next up uh let's see great news everybody all five seasons of the muppet show are heading to disney plus that's good news indeed um this with ex well so it is because of the fact that, you know, Disney owns uh, Jim Henson's company is, well, one, I'm kind of surprised it took this long for this to happen, but it's coming next month. Uh, anyway, um, everything that is coming to Disney Plus next, what, with the exception of two things, uh, let's see, Muppets Take Manhattan and Muppets From Space. Those are the only two that are not going to be on there because they are owned by Sony. The Muppet Show, Muppets Most Wanted, The Muppet Movie, Muppet Treasure Island, The Muppet Christmas Carol, and The Muppet Show that was on TV a couple of few years ago, and The Great Muppet Caper will all be on Disney Plus next month, and I believe starting on the 19th, if I saw the thing right. February 19th. Man, just a few, just a month too late for The Muppet Christmas Carol to hit screens, right? I know, right? I'm like, I, I, I saw that, and I was like, why did they not have that on there already? They already owned it. Whatever timing, right? Whatever timing just didn't work out. That is unfortunate. Yeah, but hey, it'll be done there for next uh, next Christmas, though. So, 
unlike uh, unless unlike the, the peanuts stuff. Right. But yeah, right. but that's cool though. And like I said, I believe it is. Um, I believe it is uh, February nineteenth when that stuff coming. This article doesn't say, but I did see another article that um, that did say as much. So cool. Next, next up, uh, the television show for one of Image Comics' biggest fan favorite titles, the horror anthology series Ice Cream Man, created by W. Maxwell Prince and. Martin Morazzo is still in the works. Okay. Despite the setbacks behind the scenes, Prince confirmed a television adaptation of the series is still happening. He quote, he can tell you that it definitely is not happening at Quibi. Prince tells CBR. He would say that the ice cream man TV show is very much still alive. They're hoping to have more news very soon. It would have been, um, it was announced back in February, 2020 for Quibi, but Quibi has since gone out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think all that stuff is supposed to be moving over somewhere else, but it doesn't really matter. Um, so, The Boys Season 3 is set to push the envelope further than ever before for a show that includes scenes involving everything from as-bombs to super-powered masturbation. That's saying something. The The Boys creator, Eric Kripke, uh, has taken to Twitter to reveal a title page for the sixth episode of The Boys Season 3. Uh, it's one that Kripke said, from day one, everyone dared me to make this episode. Challenge met, MFers. Uh, the title of the Jessica Cho written episode, Herogasm. And if you're watching the video, you can see the, the tweets uh, where that shows a picture of that. So... Uh, and it says here, uh, Herogasm is a storyline pulled straight from the comics. Uh, once a year, Voight pulls out all the stops and conducts a fake story of soups teaming up uh, to face a global threat so they can all head to a private island and have a have a magic, a massive orgy. Yep, that's a thing that's going to happen. Nice. Yeah, really. I still haven't watched the boys, but that's weird. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. I would recommend watching the first two seasons and then, you know, deciding whether or not you want to move on to season three. Yeah. I, I think the first season was strong, was a lot stronger than season two, but I think it's, it's worth the time to watch because while you don't necessarily have to care about these characters, it's interesting to see, um, that the tropes that they, that they write up and, and, and how they decide to set, um, a lot of these characters against not even the, the, the timeline that they were in, in the comics, but against today's time. Mm. And I think that's really where it's interesting to, uh, to see the contrast and, and to see these characters kind of put into a different setting. Gotcha. Oh, cool. Yeah. I will definitely be checking it out. Next up, uh, James Gunn reveals this, the suicide squad is nearly finished. I say, I added the, the, because that's what differentiates it mm-hmm. from the previous movie, but we'll have to wait for a trailer. Um, James Gunn shared that the movie is almost finished. Um, although the upcoming DC sequel soft reboot comes out this summer, there's still no trailer and Gunn has said good things are on their way, but we'll have to be patient for a while longer yet. The director shared the status update on Twitter, a hat tip to Screen Rant, commenting that I am a hair's breadth away from being finished. Interesting. Right. And he also says, I know, I know you want the trailer or the teaser or more news or who the baddie is. Uh, Parentheses, they all are the baddies, but also. (laughs) But he, he just says he's working on cool stuff. Please be patient. Right. And yeah, this was from people on Twitter asking them that. And you can see the tweets uh, uh, 
right there if you're watching the video version of this, which sometimes maybe you should, because it's good stuff. And you can see our our handsome faces, or at least Agent 70's handsome face and just me. Right. And we are not overproduced. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a chance to, to retort. <laughs> we are not overproduced. It is definitely, we have definitely come a long way from our beginnings, our humble, humble beginnings as Indeed. the comic book chronicles. Indeed. Uh, Netflix provides update on Lupin season two release date. Uh, so Netflix has updated fans on when Lupin uh, season two or Lupin part through part two, excuse me, in the show's parlance uh, is expected to drop on the streaming service. The hit French heist thriller uh, starring Omar Sy or C, I'm not sure which it is actually, as Gentleman Thief Arsene uh, Lupin will release its next batch of episodes, quote unquote, later this year. That comes after Lupin's uh, first five episodes were made available to stream early in early January. And I've seen the first episode. And it's actually not bad. And it definitely wasn't what I thought it was uh, going into it. And I'm kind of looking forward to check out the rest of uh, the five episodes. And glad that there's getting a, a season or part two of it. So if you are, if you know of the character from the anime, or maybe you read the original books that was, this is based off of, then hey, you, you may or may not enjoy it. You may enjoy it, actually, I would say. Next up. All right, next up. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender video shows how fight scenes were animated. Um, a new video breaks down how Avatar The Last Airbender created its excellent, authentic fight scenes. Thanks to its arrival on Netflix last summer, Avatar... God, last summer is still pandemic time. Jeez. Mm -hmm. Avatar has seen because I know this uh, from 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 my own anecdotal experience that uh, several younger uh, members of the extended family got into Avatar because it hit Netflix. Right. Uh, Avatar has seen a huge resurgence in popularity. The series aired from 2005 to 2008 on Nickelodeon, and to this day, it remains one of the most beloved animated shows of all time. Uh, fans praised. Avatar for its world building, character development, and compelling storylines. Um, perhaps the most intriguing, one of the most intriguing bits of Avatar is the bending. Certain people within the four nations have the ability to bend or manipulate and control one of the four main elements. Um, each bending style is distinctive, and they are all based on a real-life martial art form. Mm -hmm. uh, shared by Entertainment Insider on Friday, the clip puts a spotlight on Avatar Sifu Kisu, one of the martial artists who helped bring the show's fight scenes to life. Kisu and other martial artists uh, would provide reference footage so the animators would understand how to best render the characters. Uh, later, Giancarlo Volpe, who also worked on Avatar and was interviewed for the video, took to social media and listed off the best way to create authentic animated martial arts, which includes the extremely vital first step, hire martial artists. Bonus points if they are extra imaginative. Okay. Yeah. I maintain that uh, Avatar, and I haven't seen Korra yet, but I, I imagine it still uh, holds up to that. And I know a lot of people like, like Korra over uh, Avatar. But Avatar Last Winter is good stuff. Like, yeah, some there's some stuff in the end of it that I wasn't too crazy about with certain characters. But nevertheless, it is very good TV, and I still implore, I, I still would hope that um, Agent 70 will watch it sometime. It's on the list. <laughs> a little on the list, but it's on the list. Indeed. Uh, you know, so, just uh, okay. just like Steve Rogers had it. You know, I have my list in my little moleskin book. You know, indeed, yes, you do. And I've I've, I've seen this book. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I can, can I can absolutely confirm there's a physical book where he's putting this stuff in. Oh, I was about to say I can reach over for it now, but it's not it's it's not important. Yeah, we yeah, definitely know that it's here. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so we're now gonna we're gonna transition push... over to comic book news. Yep, yep. Uh, let's see. The White Queen uh, from the X-Men corner of the universe, Marvel Universe specifically, the White Queen hints at the true father of a major mutant child. So we talked, so this is the spoilers for Marauder 17, which came out last week that we did talk about, but we did not talk about this particular thing because it didn't seem like that big of an issue. Uh, but does seem like something that's probably going to come up uh, later at some point. Uh, so one consistent element of mutant powers in the uh, Marvel universe is how similar powers that can be connect can be when connected through family lines. Uh, the powers of the parent often carry over in some form of the children, even if it's a slightly different form of application. In the world of the X Men, telepaths tend to have telepaths for children. Um, in the case of Emma Frost, she creates her own. Um, I put that in there. Uh, Wolverine's children, actually, yeah, Wolverine's probably kind of the same situation, isn't it? In certain cases, but anyway, share his claws and healing factor. For example, uh, this tendency may mean that one major family name could be built on a lie, as revealed in Marauders number seventeen. Emma Frost strongly suggests that Shinobi Shaw might not be the actual biological son of uh, Sebastian Shaw, and the White Cream seems to have a working theory over who the actual father is who uh, I'll just go ahead and say is Harry Leland, one of the other members of the, or former members of the Hellfire Club, who is, I believe at this point, still not alive, but maybe due to come back. Because I do remember that part of the issue where Emma's like, yeah, he's not, he's not back, but when he'll be back, I will be happy to introduce you to, to, to uh, Harry Leland. And Shinobu Shaw was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so. I, I was do- about to say that, that, that definitely, uh, uh, piqued my interest, so mm-hmm. we'll see where that might go. Right, and yeah, the, and the fact that Emma brought it up, which obviously to stick it into stick it to uh to Sebastian Shaw, but yeah, clearly bringing up something else that um, yeah, that uh ended up being that may or may not end up being the case. Right. Next up. Next up. So, uh, mild spoilers. This is um. Spoilers from uh, the Chris Claremont uh, anniversary special uh, that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Um, according to this issue, one of the most prevalent forces that appears uh, in the modern Marvel universe has always had an opposite. And uh, while Hela confronts Danny Moonstar, um, the Phoenix Force and Lady Death and Hela are quietly positioned as opposites, proving that the Avatar of Death is a perfect nemesis for the Phoenix. Okay, it's interesting. Yeah. Because uh, Phoenix is supposed to be like life running wild. Right. Oh, and apparently um, I missed an article that our classic may be interested in, that, but I'll put it in for next week's show. Um, so hopefully he will see that. So next up, uh, let's see. Excalibur number 20 teases big ramifications for Betsy Braddock and Salak. And this is something that I've been kind of interested in knowing about what happened. Cause we, they kind of was like, well, here's this thing that happened to Betsy. And we knew they were going to eventually come back to it. We didn't know how soon. 
Um, Marvel Comics has released the cover and advanced solicitation, which, by the way, I guess this is another time to point out that April solicitations are out for, I know, DC, Marvel, and I believe Image. So those will be in the show notes if you are so uh, inclined to check those out. But um, the cover and advanced solicitation for April's uh, Excalibur number 20, written by Tini Howard and artist Marcus Toe, which continues the team's post uh, Ten of Swords adventures into the Reign of X era. The cover of uh, Excalibur number 20 may offer some clues as to the eventual fate of Excalibur's currently missing in action leader, Betsy Braddock, which that's kind of funny, missing in action, Braddock. Anyway, um, Captain Britain, who was transported to an alternate reality in Ten of Swords, uh, X of Swords, and is presumed dead by her teammates. But I believe we have found that may or may not be the case as of the last couple of issues currently. Uh, this image by Mamad Asrar shows Rogue, Betsy, and Salak Kwanan struggling against a silhouetted foe, potentially Saturnine, the ruler of Otherworld, who holds a grudge against Betsy. So, and uh, there we go. There's the, the cover right there. If you're watching the video version. Next up. All right. Um, T'Challa and Storm enter the symbiote saga with King and Black, Black Panther number one. So symbiotes... Uh, invade the, the unconquerable country of Wakanda. T'Challa's most treasured allies are lost in a storm of Null's making. How does a king respond? Critically acclaimed writer, actor, and producer Jeffrey Thorne explores a Wakanda gone dark, invaded by Null's massive symbiote army. Uh, Wakanda needs its leader. It needs the Black Panther. But once again, the hero must choose between his role as an Avenger, his role as a king, and the yearnings of his heart. Okay. Join Jeffrey Thorne, artist Herman Peralta, who previously did the first Maestro miniseries, and colorist Jesus Obertov on February 10th for King in Black, Black Panther number one. And I feel like we kind of glimpse of, we might have caught just a slight glimpse of this in uh, Avengers 41, because there was some talk between the Phoenix and, or at least even before that, the, the Phoenix and uh, Black Panther about Wakanda. That may or may not play into this, but uh, or may could be me reading into it. But anyway, here's the cover of that issue if you're so inclined to watch the video version. Next up is Darkhawk returns in 30th anniversary special, which sets the course for the future. Uh, Marvel Comics has announced plans to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the debut of the cult favorite 90s hero Darkhawk in April with a one shot titled uh, Darkhawk Heart of the Hawk. Um, Heart of the Hawk brings back the original creators of Dark Hawk's first title, writer Danny Fingeroth, and artist Mike Manley. Uh, and lists several other creators for a series of tales that the publisher says, quote-unquote, will set up the hero for his bright Marvel Comics future. Um, as some might know, uh, created in 1991 by writer Tom DeFalco and artist um, uh, Mike Manley, Dark Hawk is a superhero uh, identity of Chris Powell, a troubled team, which I, I'm going to just stop right there and say that I'm fairly certain that we have had something in the last couple of years dealing with Dark Hawk. And I can't remember if Powell, I know, well, Powell was definitely around and I may still be because I can't remember. There was definitely a, a one shot that happened in the last couple of years that uh, had something to do with Dark Hawk and mm. the original uh, wielder of the Dark Hawk powers. So, but yeah, 
fans of Darkheart. There you go. It's got something. Got another one shot coming. Next up. Gotcha. Next up. Um, the final chapter of Donny Cates' and Ryan Stegman's Venom Saga is here. It was announced a few days ago in an exclusive interview with IGN. The final issue of Donny Cates' and Ryan Stegman's hit run on Venom is going to arrive in April. The all-star creative team will be saying farewell to a character they helped redefine in a special milestone issue, Venom number 200. Um, the run's going to leave a lasting impact on not only on the character of Venom, but on the Marvel Universe as a whole. The landmark issue will pick up after the events of King and Black. And um, over the years, Cates and Stegman have torn Eddie Brock's life asunder while introducing new villains and uncovering long-hidden mysteries about the nature of symbiotes. Okay. Yep, and you can see the uh, a cover for Venom 200. I can see numbered 200 right there. Uh, let's see. Oh, Spider-Man. Spider's Shadow reveals uh, what happens when Peter Parker becomes Venom. So it's basically a one-if, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. The birth of Venom is easily one of the most iconic moments in the iconic... Wow, they really did it, huh? In the iconic Spider-Man saga. Uh, but what if that story turned uh, took a t different turn? What if Pete Parker remained bonded to a symbiote costume, which I feel like they actually did do a what if on that, uh, thereby becoming Venom instead of his rival, Eddie Brock? That scenario will form the basis of a new alternate reality story called Spider-Man Spider-Shadow. Uh, Spider-Shadow is the latest Spider-Man project from writer Chip Zdarsky, which I'm guessing that was what that um, that uh, the recent um, tweets were about. Uh, who previously worked on Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and the critically lauded Spider-Man life story. Zdarsky is uh, teaming up with artist uh, Pasquale Ferry from Thor, uh, colorist Matt Hollingshed from Hawkeye, and cover artist uh, Phil Noto from Star Wars and other things. Uh, check out Noto's cover in issue number one before, so you can see the thing that right there. And um, yeah, so I guess this is not a traditionally branded what-if, but definitely is going to be a what-if from what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, no, it even says here. Um, yeah, so I guess it is going to be um, a, a what if. They just don't necessarily have the um, on and on there because it says down here at the bottom or the, in the article, Sadowski says, I'm thrilled to be kicking off a new era of what if stories with this tale of Spider-Man gone bad, says Sadowski in a Marvel press release. Uh, how can I be getting it? Will he have a goatee and no hyphen in his name? Pick up issue one and find out. In true Sadowski um, style. So yeah, I guess they're doing a what if without the uh, without the um, the banner. I'm not sure. Anyway, next up. Next up, Marvel's Champions number six brings on a new creative team for a new era. Uh, writer Danny Lore and artist Luciano Vecchio will take over as the creative team of Marvel's Champions' ongoing title in April. Um. They're going to be taking over for outgoing writer Eve L. Ewing and artists Bob Quinn and Simone DeMeo. Uh, they're going to be kicking off their run with a story called Killer App, which centers on the champions trying to counter software designed to enforce Kamala's Law, which makes teen vigilantes illegal outside of government supervision. So it seems like Outlawed is still going to be going on at this point. Yeah, I saw this article and I'm like, what is even going on with that? Um, yeah. It's hard to figure where, the, where 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 this is supposed to be in the grand scheme of everything else going on in the Marvel universe. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Is it, yeah, and yeah, exactly. With Outlaw kind of being, you know, kind of got um, messed up with COVID, and you know, they had to rejigger some stuff. Um, right. So sad yeah. to see viewing uh, leaving the title. Exactly. That was exactly what I was about to say. Because yeah, she's she's been doing some pretty good work on that. So I, I'm definitely hoping she will get to return and or maybe pick up uh, Ironheart again at some point. Um, right. Sure. Considering that she that that she chimed in on this, my guess is that she's going to be doing something else. Right. You know, that she's working on something, you know, that, that something is brewing. I believe that is the case, yeah. But I'm not, we're not sure what just yet. Maybe it's something in Solicis or maybe something that's still in the works. But right. uh, for those that don't know, uh, Danny Lore is a queer black writer and editor, and she's from Harlem, but raised in Brooklyn. I have definitely seen them on, I think that was a pr- the pronoun is them, excuse me. Um, uh, on Twitter, and I know they were hinting around to some stuff, and I guess this was one of them for certainly. And I know there's been some stuff that they are uh, that they got out. Maybe actually something this week, actually, um, and stuff coming out. So I've seen good things about this writer. Put it that way. Next up, um, is that me? Oh yeah. Um, Miles Morales Spider-Man changes Marvel's most controversial name. We talked about this last week, but I just want to reiterate this. Um, so spoiler alerts for last week's Miles Morales Spider-Man number 22, in which we found out, and actually I don't think we actually said said what happened, but we kind of alluded to it, but Miles' dad changed his name. He is now Jefferson Morales. Thank God. Uh, thereby thereby um, correcting another of Venice's mistakes. Um, anyway, so there, that's, that's the thing. You can go check that out. Next up. Next up, shout out to our very own at Tim dog 98 for this article on CBR.com. Miles Morales, clone saga is more controversial than Peter Parker's, uh, Marvel says really. <sighs> yeah, this came. This was out uh, last week, and I forgot to put it in the lineup after we talked about the fact that there was going to be uh, that Miles was going to have his own clone saga. Um, which, yeah, I'm still kind of worried about that. But uh, as I said last week, uh, uh, in in um, in um, Saladin Ahmed, we trust on this. Uh, right, it's going to start. Right, the new de- the new clone saga is going to start in Miles Morales Spider Man number twenty five, a special oversized anniversary issue. Um, you know, this article has the solicit in it. Um, it's written by Salina Ahmed with art by Carmen Canero. Uh, wow, you know, Ahmed uh, has some some stuff in here about um, you know. This is uh, uh, an echo of uh, Peter Parker's Clone Saga, where you know it's a classic story of the hero battling a version of themselves. So uh, he wanted to put Miles through that iconic ringer in his own distinctive way. Okay, but it's also, but it's also weird because he just really got through doing that exact thing in a way. No, but that's where this is. That's playing off that. That's I know. The I know. I know. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, because- like. No, but I was going to say that's essentially what happened back with the original Spider Clone story. I think he appeared. And then, um, you know, everyone thought that, that that story went away. And that's essentially how this is playing out, but over uh, a much shorter time period. <laughs> right. But what I'm also saying is, well, I'm talking about the stuff with the 616 Miles Morales, not necessarily an actual clone. But, yeah, some of that definitely has come into play in, in the in the uh, in the series. 
So that that's kind of what I was kind of getting into, but not necessarily clones. But that was in that situation, not as a clone, but just the the actual six one six version of him. Uh, and definitely, there's been some clone stuff with the uh, with the other stuff coming along. So we kind of should have yeah, saw one, this coming. Yeah, I was about to say one thing is the is the dimensional opposite, and this is an actual clone. I gotcha. Right. So, but like I said, I'm 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 still down for it. I see where it's going. Like I said, the the, the clone saga kind of has a bitter taste in a lot of Spider Man fans' um, mouths. But again, yeah, and I'm, I totally. I totally stopped reading Amazing. I was only at the time uh, collecting Amazing Spidey, so I I just stopped reading Spidey altogether for a couple of months, for several months. That is, mm-hmm. uh, I may or may not go back and read some of this stuff. <laughs> I'm just I I literally just opened up my tablet, had Facebook open, and I saw one of the Bernie memes. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, set in front of uh, a place near and dear to my heart and to uh, to classic and at Matt Wang ninety seven's heart. Mm-hmm. you know uh shout out to uh, old sty but um mm-hmm. but yeah that's why i'm i just kind of laughed just now um all right uh i think you're up mm-hmm. um yeah i, I actually I, just like you just said i'm thinking about i had debate about going back and reading some of that stuff also with the old saga yeah. but just got a refresher as much as i would hate to um but speaking of miles um for owners of well Miles Morales Platinum Owners gets uh, a reward from PlayStation. So this has to do with Spider-Man Miles Morales, the video game. Uh, releasing alongside the PS5 back in November, Spider-Man Miles Morales has been in the public hands for a while now with its relatively short runtime, meaning that uh, many have blasted through the spinoff's relatively brief campaign. This is true because I haven't. I never, I never actually played it yet because I'm waiting for a PS5. God darn it. Um, well, and the money, but that's another story. Uh, some have even reached platinum with the title with, um, and with its short running time, making it much easier effort to 100% than other, uh, places stuff. Apparently for those who did do so, um, PlayStation has a reward lined up to say congratulations, which is looks like to be sent by by email to those who accomplished uh, the 100% trophy, also known as a platinum, uh, for those who are already in the know. The company is giving away redeemable codes for a commemorative in-game photo mode frame, uh, allowing platinum owners to show off their aptitude for playing Miles Morales to screenshots. Eh, sure. But that is that I will say that would be cool if PlayStation starts doing that for stuff like, hey, if you're getting a platinum for games, then, hey, you get this other thing like granted the reward for it doesn't seem all that big. But, you know, it's a start and it's something because I don't know how many people use photo mode. I know there was a good bit, but nevertheless, next up, next up, uh, a new year brings new Star Trek Starship announcements. And we're just a few months away from the next expansion of the long running official Starships collection. This April, the Star Trek Universe official Starships collection launches, collecting all the upcoming Discovery, Picard, and yet-to-be-revealed Strange New World model releases under one banner. And as part of its inaugural month of releases, a pair of Picard ships are headed your way. The first member of this new fleet will be Captain Rios's La Serena. The hero starship at the center of Star Trek Picard, clad in its red and white hull coloring, followed by the ship Captain Will Riker led to stop the invading Romulan fleet, the Inquiry class, USS Zheng He, or He. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, that's cool. Like, I'm not sure. Are these are was well, like these are definitely models for sure. Yeah, each ship is going to re- uh, retail at fifty four ninety five. Mm-hmm. And coming out uh, looks like it's set to arrive in April. Sounds like. Um. So that's cool. And then this article also goes on to some other stuff coming to the Star Trek universe, including some stuff coming to Star Trek Online and some books and whatever odd things. But the first part is the, the main crux of it. Uh, DC Universe Infinite set to launch sets launch dates with over 25,000 titles to start. By the way, folks, uh, that date is January 21st, which is the day we're recording right now. Mm-hmm. Um, DC Universe Infinite, the revamped comic-centric version of the DC Universe app, uh, has set its launch date, and like I was, we've already said it, and it's today. Uh, it's basically Marvel Unlimited for the DC stuff. Um, and if you remember, it was also housing uh, video, uh, you know, movies and such, uh, and all those shows, which I, I like that part of it, and I also like the fact that they kind of combine the movies and the books, you know, where they execute it well, that's, you know, one thing or another, but I kind of enjoyed it. I can't say I use it that often. Uh, I know we definitely use it for a couple of things that we talked about, uh, you know, well, a couple of, uh, treasure editions type things mm-hmm. we talked about, or not even treasure editions. There were actual episodes, but you know, it, in the beginning of the pandemic, we had a good bit of use for this app for the, some of the stuff we were covering. Right, right. I mean, at the at you know, uh, for now, I, I I'm still not convinced. I want to join this version, mm-hmm. uh, just because you know I've said it before on the show. I just don't read enough back issue DC stuff, right? To it. that's to warrant this. That's the kicker. So, mm-hmm. but you know, I have I have like I said, I haven't used it as much as I thought I would, but I have used it here and there, and I will probably still keep it for that. As I've kept uh, Marvel Unlimited, it'd be nice to have this in one place so I can do one one, you know, just pay for one thing. But I know that's never going to happen. And the closest yeah. we got uh, to that is Comicsology Unlimited, but they don't have everything, right? So, but it is what it is, and I believe the price will be. I believe it says down here seven ninety nine a month. As opposed to the original, uh, the older price with that, you know, with the uh, videos and stuff, uh, seventy four ninety nine a year. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was about to say they, they give you the cost for the yearly subscription. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there you go. It's out there. Next up. Alrighty, next up, uh, a well preserved Batman comic from 1940 has come close, but not beaten the all time record set by Action Comics number one. A rare Batman comic has sold for $2.2 million. I should put my pinky up to my mouth, right? Um, Beating the previous record for the highest priced Batman comic sold at auction of all time. The Near Mint Batman number one. Near Mint was first published in 1940 and survived those decades. It appears that Agent 70 has frozen. So hopefully we will get him back. Uh, let's see. Anyway, uh, so yeah, this is so according to uh, Hollywood Reporter reports that the comic was sold as a part of a heritage auction event on the comics and comic book art. Uh, this Batman comic was published a year after the comics debut in December 27, which I think was probably said. Aside from being the first title issue for Batman, it also introduced an iconic, introduced iconic characters such as the Joker and Cam- Catwoman. So yeah, that's a lot of money for a book. That's kind of ridiculous. 
but moving right along, Batman goes to Europe in new Dark Knight title. So, let's see, Batman, the Dark Knight number one, sends Gotham Protector across uh, the pond in April. Uh, DC has announced a new Batman limited series that takes the Cape Crusader across the pond for a globe-trotting European adventure starting in April. Titled Batman the Dark Knight, the six-issue series from writer Tom Taylor and artist uh, Andy Kubert will center on a new villain named Equilibrium and will introduce new members of of Batman's supporting cast. Uh, An epic tale begins... uh, Excuse me. An epic tale begins that will take uh, Batman on a harrowing, action-packed European adventure in a new miniseries by superstar creators Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert. Reads uh, the solicitations for Batman: The Dark Knight Number One. Uh, our horrific tragedy in the UK sends a very personal and deadly message to the Dark Knight, one that will draw Batman out of Gotham City to investigate. Uh, from the moment he lands in Europe, Batman will face a difficult investigation and unheard of adversaries and will find assistance of a partner once more, all in the hunt for the villain known as Equilibrium, it continues. So yeah, so that's the thing, and here is, there we go, there is the um, quite reminiscent uh, cover of Batman the Dark Knight. Uh, and that it will be in April. Uh, DC announces new Batman series starring Scooby-Doo. So Batman and the Mystery Inc. game are teaming up in an all-new digital first series titled Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries. Writers Ivan Cohen and Charlie Fish uh, collaborate with artists Dario Brizuela and Randy Elliott for each digital chapter. Uh, beginning uh, Saturday, March 27th. The Dark Knight, Scooby-Doo, and the Sleuth of Mystery, Inc., uh, you know, Shaggy, Velma, Daphne, Fred, will star in 24 digital chapters and will be collected in 12 print issues on April 13th. Excuse me. So, yeah, there you go, all you Scooby-Doo and Batman fans. Another hot collaboration. (laughs) Uh, Moving right along, though... Uh, Damian Wayne will utilize multiple costumes in his Robin series. And this is the Robin series that is coming out of, uh, coming after uh, Future State. Uh, the new Robin series will feature a multitude of outfits, courtesy of artist Gleb Milnikov. Uh, series writer Joshua Williamson revealed the news on Twitter alongside an image of Damian wearing what looks to be a black hooded vest over a gray shirt and a gold bedazzled glove. Uh, the outfit resembles the one Damien is shown wearing in promo issues images for DC's Infinite Frontier initiative, which begins in March. So you can see the tweet in question right there in the video. Um, yeah. And it says, uh, Gleb designed more than one new costume for Damien. We haven't even shown them all yet. Uh, turning the son of the bat into a fashion icon, Williamson wrote. Uh, Damien is also shown wearing a red and black Robin costume on the cover of Robin number one. So there you go. I guess just like his father was going to have various suits for the occasion. Um, in, in what is a spoiler for last week's future state Teen Titans number one. Hang on a second. Come on. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, the Teen Titans. Well, basically, the Teen Titans reveals who DC's first Red X was in Future State. Uh, and uh, we come to find out that uh, the Teen Titans have a long and storied history full of triumphs and tra- tragedies. And in one future timeline of DC's Future State event, it looks like one of the Titans' greatest tragedies compelled the major Titans leader to take over a new identity at some point. Much like his animated Teen Titans counterpart did, Future State Teen Titans reveals that Dick Grayson recreated, uh, excuse me, created the Red X persona for more covert operations. And now that fact may be coming back to bite them. Um, so yeah, we've kind of found out that Dick Grayson was the one in the Red X max, max, uh, mask after all, uh, at some point during Future State. So cool. Um, and actually we talked about this earlier, but Teen Titans Academy will recruit Shazam's uh, Billy Batson after future state, uh, future state Batman writer, Tim Sheridan confirmed that Billy Batson will make an appearance in his Teen Titan Academy series after DC's future state event comes to a close. Um, I don't know how much I can say, but I'll say this. You will see Shazam in the future. Sheridan told CBR. Um, Billy Batson is going to be a student at Teen Titans Academy, which takes place in the present. Uh, he added that Billy is going to be putting on his sweater and carrying his books to class like everyone else and confirmed that the writing team has quote unquote, some things planned for that. Uh, we're going to help you get there. Sheridan continued. We're going to show you a little bit more of Billy's story before he gets to future state. Uh, while Sheridan noted that Billy Batson is an innocent kid, he pointed out that the teenager is tied to the not-so-innocent power that transforms him into Shazam. Uh, these are powers that have been seen throughout time and, and have done things that we might not know about, um, Sheridan explained. There's a great mystery, still a great mystery, as to what those powers are and what they can be, depending on how they're used. Yes, it was part of the plan for us to scratch our heads and wonder how Billy Batson can do this and what Shazam is saying here. That's the part of the fun and part of the story. So there's also another interview that CBR did that is in our show notes. If you are so uh, inclined to, um, to, uh, to check in that out in the show notes. Uh, see, Sheridan also revealed in an interview that I just mentioned that Billy Batson is a character you don't expect to see display a real dark side. Noting, uh, I wanted to turn Shazam's world upside down and show him in a different light while sh- trying to, while tying into the story we're doing in Future State Teens Titans. So again, alluding back to what I was saying earlier, or what we were saying earlier about um, uh, being tied into the Future State Teen Titans book. Next up, uh, DC unites the Justice League and uh, RWBY, which I believe is pronounced Ruby, uh, in a new miniseries this April. In April, DC is bringing together the world of Justice League and Ruby in a brand new miniseries from Marguerite Bennett and uh, Aneki. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, so I apologize if I, if I messed that up. Uh, when a new Grimm is on the loose, Team Ruby will unite with a quote-unquote new version of DC's Paragons of Justice to take on that threat. Um, 
The cover art by Marco Andolfo, who also did Justice League character designs, and uh, solicitation checks for Ruby Justice League number one is below in the article. So you can see the cover right there. Um, I don't know that much about our Ruby or RWBY. I know what it is and also kind of uh, where it came from, but I've never really watched much of it. And I know they, I think, believe they do have... Um, so yeah, I know, I know it is, it is a thing, but I've never really checked out the, uh, the, um, I believe it is a partially Rooster Teeth show, uh, this is a um, Rooster Teeth made show, uh, and creation at that. So, and they just got a DC book fairly recently, if I'm not mistaken. So that is, uh, that's cool. I, I may actually check that out. Um, oops. All right. Uh, the old guard is coming back as a comics anthology in April. Uh, 2020's the old guard film on Netflix was a surprise hit last year, uh, based on the comic by Greg Rucker and Leandro Fernandez. The story of an immortal band of mercenaries got people talking. And I have yet to actually watch that. Um, that movie and I've definitely not read the book originally, but um with a script by Rucker himself and directed by Gina Prince uh, Bythewood, the movie left everyone waiting for a sequel. While Rucker and Fernandez has supplied one comic sequel, 2019's The Old Guard Multiply uh Force Multiplied, the crew is coming back in even bigger style with The Old Guard Tales Through Time, a new six issue anthology that jaunts through the centuries. Uh, the series boasts a star-studded lineup of contributors according to Polygon, which debuted the news. And those contributors are um, Alessandro Arbona uh, and Kano, Brian Michael Bendis, Brian Avon Oming and Taki Soma, uh, Robert McKenzie, David Walker and Justin Greenwood, Matt Fraction, Vita Alaya and Nicola Scott, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentino DeLeandro, um, I, I believe is that the Pretty Deadly team, or just um, yeah, I believe that is the Pretty the Pretty Deadly team, or is that the Pretty De Deadly or um, uh, not Pretty Deadly. Um, I'm but y'all know the series I'm talking about, uh, where Kelly Sue and Valentine Delandro did. So I'm let me shut up before I butcher it anymore. Uh, Eric Trotman and Rick Burchett, uh, Andrew Wheeler and Jacopo Mag. Agnami, uh, Kamag, Kamagni, excuse me, sorry. Uh, Matthew Clark, Jason Aaron, Steve Lieber, and Horatio Altuna, and of course, Rucker and Fernandez. So you can find quotes from most of the above at Polygon and some of the specific like, and I believe there is a link to, to the article, to the Polygon article in this, uh, in the article that we have. So there you go. Next up, I believe uh, Agent 70 is still trying to sort out his uh, internet uh, situation here. So I'm just going to kind of keep pushing on. Meet Fight Bunny, a rabbit fighting for pie, cake, and justice. <laughs> um, 
for those who've been hankering for a Paddington Bear, but are hoping for a bit more punch, uh, you'll have that in the upcoming graphic novel, The Effervescent Adventures of Fight Bunny. Uh, artist Jennifer L. Meyer, writer Nate Crosby, and literal Ariana Mayer have come together for a 45-page all-ages original graphic novel starring an anthropomorphic rabbit as she uses a sword and cape. I feel like Agent 70 might, uh, might appreciate this one. <laughs> and an oversized heart uh, to fight for what's right. Um, all was well in the great flooded forest. Squirrels and foxes played gin rummy. Birds enjoyed bubble baths. There was a hippo with a very judgy opinions on steep preparation. Uh, just at me next time. Anyway, uh, life is swell. But on this particular, specifically particular day, water started flooding the forest. And the cause? Beavers with impressive work ethics. Uh, reads, reads Cosby's description of the one shot. While some of the animals prepared to move on to higher dry ground, others fretted and flailed and fanned out for a hero to save their home. And that is the, the crux of um, this story. Let's see. Luckily, at the moment, they were visited by a spoiler. Fight Bunny! The description continues. Can Fight Bunny battle and baffle a bevy of belligerent beavers? That's a mouthful. With, will the secrets of the great flooded forest unfold in time to save all those that live there? Why is the hippo so adamant about being the about the boiling temperature of their English breakfast tea? Because you know you, you got to have things the way they are. Just, um, but here you can see some art from it. It looks um, it looks good actually. I'm, I'm kind of uh, I would definitely check this out. Um. You know, it's a rabbit with a sword and a cape. So going up against water and the various issues that was around that. But hey, uh, that sounds like a good deal to me. I don't know. Wait, when did this say? There's also in this article, if you plan on checking this out, uh, a five page preview. And it apparently. Oh, so I did not know this, but um. It was scheduled to debut in October uh, and it was currently raising, oh, actually is currently raising funds on Kickstarter, which is currently nearing 20,000 towards a 24,500 goal by January 28th. So let us check and see if um, there are six days to go. Um... Oh, okay, so yes, it's almost met their goal. So they're only like four thousand away from from meeting their goal. So hopefully, you know, I may actually, I might actually support this because this is, this sounds cute. Um, but you two can um, back this. Oh wait, hold on for a second. Rit, 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 rit. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's scheduled to come out in October, which means this coming October uh, and not last October.
let's see. So yeah, you can like I said, you can check that out. Um, and it says it'll be on sale in October, both digitally and in print. Um, and there you go. So that's cool. Guess who's back? Nice. Back and- <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Sorry, folks. Yeah, eight to seven is back in the building. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. We all have our own sound effects. Gotta love it. Yeah. Gotta love it. So where are we on the news list? Um Hero Initiative, like third from the third from the, the last. Alright, so you just so you so you're this one's next? Yes. Okay, so uh Hero Initiative, the charity dedicated to helping comic book creators in medical or financial need, announced their latest fundraiser in partnership with the Bink Foundation. That's a book industry charitable foundation this week double visions is an art auction that kicks off february 2nd and features two comic book artists teaming to draw original art that art features two comic book creators to benefit two comic book charities the hero initiative and the bink foundation's comic book united fund which helps comic book retailers in need due to the ongoing covid19 pandemic there's a list of original art pieces on in this article that will begin to be made available for auction on february 2nd they're going to be auctioned off via Heroes' eBay account uh, five at a time, along with Hero Initiative's descriptions. Yeah, so that's always been a, uh, the Hero Initiative has always been a cool thing. So good to know that they're keeping uh, keeping call with some stuff. And there's a list of uh, descriptions in here. We don't necessarily have to get into it of, of the stuff that's uh, being auctioned off, but it looks like some good stuff by some great artists. Righto. Uh, next up, um, so I guess I wish we had this for last week, but nevertheless, it is, uh, it is what it is. So three notable graphic novels focused on black culture, history, and storytelling. And this was a, um, this was a article that came out around, um, Martin Luther King day this past, uh, this, this past week, which by the way, happy MLK day. Um, so this article has, let's see, three graphic novels. One that just came out, uh, it looks like today, or, or today as of that article, which was the 18th, uh, which was one that I was kind of looking forward and checking out, and I totally forgot that it was coming out. But um, The Black Panther Party, a graphic novel history by David F. Walker and artist Marque Kwame Anderson from 10 Speed uh, Press imprint of uh, Penguin Random House. So that came out, and that is basically a collaboration that explores the history of the Black Panther Party, uh, the militant movement that arose in the late 60s to confront uh, in, intractable systemic racism. I can promise you I can talk, but it's getting late. Um, but yes, this is a graphic novel that talks about that, and I was looking, I've was i been definitely looking forward to checking that out, and I'm going to have to pick that up. There was two more in here, one which is called Afrofuturism Ad Infinitum, um, let's see who is done by artist, writer, and animator Tim Fielder. Um, and I believe that is, yeah, that is also already out, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe all these books may possibly be already out. And the last one is Hardboiled Action as Cold as Stone by writer artist uh, Ho Chi uh, Anderson. Uh, is perhaps known as 
best known for his definitive graphic biography of Martin Luther King Jr. called King. Uh, so this the article's writer notes that um, there's recent work here, despite it being published back in September. Despite it being here, is being was published back in September. So yeah, this is definitely already out. Um, and Stone is a near future action revenge thriller in the style of early seventies grindhouse classics like Death Wish and Billy Jack, and is a prose novella with a, with spot illustrations from Anderson. So if you're interested in any of those, you can definitely check those out. Uh, last but not least. Oh, I love it. This is the best <laughs> to come back and wrap the show with. Oh, My Little Ponies will join the Transformers on Cybertron, on Cybertron, for a new comic adventure. IDW's licensed comics love themselves a good crossover, especially the Transformers, who've teamed up with everyone from the crew of the USS Enterprise to the Ghostbusters, and yes, even the beloved magical horses of Equestria. This time, they're teaming up with Pinkie Pie and the gang again. I actually am familiar with even the name Pinkie Pie only because my niece loves My Little Pony uh, on their home turf. io9 can exclusively reveal the first look at My Little Pony Transformers 2, a four-part miniseries from writers James Asmus and Sam Maggs and artists Jack Lawrence and Casey W. Collar. Following up from last year's original event, which brought the Autobots and Decepticons to Equestria via Queen Chrysalis's magic powers, this time around, Rainbow Dash, Applejack, Fluttershy, Twilight Sparkle, and the rest of their friends will be crossing over to the Transformers' homeworld of Cybertron. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, so um, as the one who was reading the original, um, the, the, the original. Uh, miniseries, I knew very well that they had set they set this up uh, at the end of that last one, so I knew this was coming. Um, and I probably even said as much. And it wouldn't have been that big of a surprise anyway, because as the article even says, yeah, yeah, IDW loved their Transformers crossovers. It's ridiculous. Actually, Ghostbusters too, second too. But um, but yeah, there've been a lot of Transformers uh, crossovers. Some have been good, actually. Um. I weirdly enough actually enjoyed the My Little Ponies uh, one. It was it was cute and weird, all at the same time. Definitely more weird because you would never think those two pairings would work, even in a Hasbro cinematic universe, uh, such as they both are. Well, not a cinematic universe, but a Hasbro uh, universe such as they are. Which man, remember when they were, when they were doing the Hasbro uh, universe uh, back in the comics, all those few years ago. Oh, you mean in the IDW books? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which... yeah, of course, of course. I thought you were talking about in the Marvel books mm-hmm. way back in no, the no, day. No, no, no. Like, this was like, well, uh, this was probably about three, four, five years ago. Yep, yep, yep. At yep, this yep, point, yep. where they were trying to, they were basically putting Transformers, Mass, G.I. Joe, and all of them together. Uh, and ROM. And ROM Space Knight. Well, excuse me, ROM, not Space Knight, but yes. And and the Micronauts all together, and that didn't necessarily pan out all that well. And Mask was also in that. Yep, I remember. Yeah, which there was actually some decent stuff in there, but it didn't didn't um apparently didn't last. But those Transformers crossovers keep on a rolling. Anyway, that is it for the news as we uh end up end off on this episode. But first, yeah. one last talk about an eventful episode. We had the entire Voltron together, including 
uh, our, 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 our podcast forefather, Classic Materia. Indeed. And we had an internet connection snafu on my part. So, check. <laughs> it's a bit of everything this week. Yeah. You gotta it, love it. Yeah, it's not like we haven't had those before. <laughs> exactly. It, it felt, didn't it feel like we squeezed everything, the entire Comic Book Chronicles experience into one episode? Pretty much. I feel like we may have missed out on something, but um, but yeah, we pretty much hit all. If you had a bingo card for it, we pretty much hit the big beats. Exactly, exactly. All right. Our last ad of the night is for Amazon. You know, that's what I like to read when it's late and we're all tired. Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Visit CSPN.us and click the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, or Marvel Legends. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. And Roddy Cat is rocking a certain sweatshirt. Yes, I, I dressed up for the occasion, or dressed down, whatever the case may be. But yeah, this was the uh, hoodie that uh, that uh, Matt Wayne got me from one of the Comic Cons a couple of years back that I paid him for, actually. But nevertheless, oh yeah, I was about to say, I think that uh, I was about to say I think I sprung that I I, I got that as a gift for uh, a friend of mine up here. I think that's the one from the Marvel booth from yes. a few years back. Mm-hmm. It is with the with the fingers uh, and everything. Cool. I'll Shout out. At Matt Wang ninety seven, absolutely. Also had you know I was rocking the uh, well actually this part of, you know this doesn't show up all that well but the the now probably limited edition um, <laughs> comic book chronicles uh, swag being the the cup and actually I had on the shirt too. Sure, so. I was about to say I should have done that. I was just happy to have the entire gang back together. Like literally, I've been waiting to play those, that Voltron cut for <laughs> forever. You know that. Yes, it's true. It is very much true. I know you. I gotta say, you know, uh, I really had a lot of fun seeing everybody on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we don't have fun, but it was so much fun to hear everybody's take on things, and that people had read books, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and, and it was great just to hear classic just kind of chime in when he could. Um, Absolutely, you know, it was a lot of fun, a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, you know, I would, and you know, maybe maybe uh, we'll get uh, Roddy Cat a green screen soon. Well. You were fading in and out of your uh, your background for a while there. Oh, when I, I come Yeah, back, that's so. because of the nature of Skype's green screen, uh, how it works. But yeah, um, yeah, there's things I could do about that. But well, I think I could probably do about that. But it is what it is for right now. Because yeah, if I as I was gonna say way earlier, if I turned off this uh, this green screen, it would have been just like Dirk was talking about with his old setup, where a lot of junk is in the background. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I understand. We, I we sympathize. We absolutely I don't sympathize. need that. <laughs> you know. Like I said, I like you know I I worked hard to put that bookcase up there so that it would be cool for the Combo Chronicles. So. Absolutely, and I and I definitely got stuff I can put up, and it will some of it will definitely be put up as we've seen from subsequent tour corners. Um, exactly. But anyway, that being the case, thank you each and every one of you all for coming out to another Combo Chronicles, uh, especially this one being the four hundreds. Um, I have been your host, Roddy Cat, and you can find me at Roddy Cat on Twitter. You can find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. South Carolina with Columbia down the way. Hey, you were the only one I didn't have a chance to play it for because of the, the, the <laughs> snafu on the announcement, so I had to play it now.
Indeed, indeed. Um, and also, like I said, provider of the sound effects, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, PCN underscore dirt on Twitter, pop culture net on Twitter, pop culture network.com, and all those umbrella sites they're in. And then probably, and I still forgot to, even though he was here, forgot to ask him, <laughs> if, <laughs> forgot to ask him if he was doing a bite, which is the divine, um, divine replacement, uh, under comic book reviews, no vowels. So, how about that? I had to do it here and still didn't do it, but anyway. Um, the Osiris of this ish one Tim D O G G nine eight on Twitter, um, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the pop culture, uh, excuse me, which is the comic book chronicles Twitter account. Definitely, you know, you know, give a shout out to the CB Cron and you know, hit us up there if you got any questions or whatever the case may be, or you know, just our just our general ones that we're giving out. Um, see CB Cron on Twitter, D Click Nation on. Twitter, that's D-K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N, all one word, uh, theclicknation.com. And also, uh, comic book resources, where Tim is over there writing his face off. We're proud of him. We, we really are. Absolutely. Uh, and um, our special guest, uh, one classic, well, formerly known as Classic Materia, now... Uh, uh, I guess on Twitter, known as classic underscore a o was a o d. Oh, that's it. right, that's right. We need to we need to uh, 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 account for that. I forgot about that. Yes. At classic underscore a e d is it a e d? Okay, oops, I got it wrong in the thing. So yeah, um, but definitely go check it out. It'll be in the show notes uh, where you can where you can link to um to classic. Definitely go go hit up our man's, you know. Uh, right there on that. I'm clear. I should have asked him if he had any other places he wanted to plug because I think he he definitely has gotten into this um, cosplay, and I know they've been doing. He and his wife uh, been doing some stuff, right? Uh, and I totally forgot about it, but I'll, I'll message him and try to get that in the show notes. Regardless, you can find this here uh, program on the Cold Slither Podcast Network that Classic has founded at. Um, cspn.us do it today you can also find this podcast on your podcast for the choice, place of choice whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes Spotify or the Cold Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page uh, you can also join us each week uh, Thursday nights 9.30ish and we actually was pretty decent on time this time I'm just kind of shocked by that um yeah. As compared to normal, but 9.30-ish p.m. Thursday nights where we record live on um, the YouTube channel of The Click Nation, which is youtube.com slash The Click Nation, or as some folks have done tonight and appreciate to the new follows, uh, the new follow that I just saw noticed a few minutes ago on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. Yes, definitely check us out. Hopefully, we, we can get to fifty on uh, the Twitch channel. We can start uploading some stuff that we had have in the pocket, um, which they won't allow us to do. And of course, like I said, we will definitely be trying to do some more streams over there. Hopefully, at some point, I gotta get off my booty and do the the couple that I said I was going to do. But all in due time, uh, I believe that is it. Stay tuned for next week. 
when we have another show. Same bat time, same bat channel. It's going to be glorious. Uh, going into another century. <laughs> it feels like another century. Uh, another uh, 100 episodes or another 500 episodes of this here comic book chronicles. Absolutely. And with that, uh, this has been the Combo Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. We're good, number one.